And welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network, and I am your co-host Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host Connor. Sup? Um, and <laughs> we just got right into this. We definitely did not record for 40 minutes about some nonsense that you'll get to. Um, we're just, you know, really punctual and and on time here. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, episodes not one through six, seven through 13 of ghost in the shell standalone complex second gig um do you have any preliminary comments on this connor um no i mean uh well in case in case our listeners don't listen to our uh to the post pod audio um you know how are y'all doing we're just you know just yeah. right right in and tell us how you're doing i'm curious um, ghostdiverspod at gmail.com or uh, tweet at our official account. Um, could just be like a one word answer. Pod. Yeah, ghostdiverspod, just, you know, one word answer, good, okay. Uh, hopefully not bad, but, um, you know, if it's bad, that's okay. Just let us know. We're wondering how you're doing. Yeah. How, are, how, are, also, how are you doing? Tweet at rabbleais or rabbleais, uh, R A B B L E. AIS. Yeah. I've heard you do it so many times and I've never had to do it myself. Um, and I, I was not sure I was doing it right, but now yeah. I did it right. Yeah. You weren't ready. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. you, you got it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tweet at so me. Tweet. Yeah. Tweet at Connor. Um, just whenever you have any single thought that you want Connor to know, tweet at Connor. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, it does. I, so someone tweeted at me recently, um, Mm-hmm. And very recently, uh, at the time that you, dear listener, are listening to this, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, recently, as in like you know, s- four months ago. Um, <laughs> by the time you're listening to this, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone else will tweet at me uh, in the intervening months. Um, but someone did tweet at me recently, and um, it it really put a smile on my face because um, I found a fellow. Koenji Hiake fan. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it does make me, uh, it does make me a little bit happy whenever somebody tweets at me. Um, yeah. So go for it. Um, whatever you're, uh, whatever you're thinking, just, just you know, send it over. Um, 
I actually did not think about who's going to do which synopsis. Um, but you put my name let, on let it. Let me. Yeah, I want to. I want to like quick check something. Um, just as I I'm going through here. Oh, you want to make sure um, that you gave me the the synopses where you put in jokes about me. No, so I, can make fun I of didn't myself. do any. I didn't do any jokes. So are you? Are you? Are you okay swapping who starts synopses mostly because uh, I want you to do one angry man trial and I want to do grass labyrinth of action. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll, we can just swap entirely. Yeah. We just, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> okay. Um, um, I'll, I'll go in and fix this after I do the synopsis, but. Okay. Um, so, so you're starting. Yeah. Um, okay. So episode seven, unless you have additional things to say. <laughs> nope. Um, nope. I think we've we've delayed okay. long enough. Uh, this is a dual episode. Uh, the name of the episode is the, so this is the, the Japanese title, The Rhapsodic Melody of a Bygone Nation. And then the um, English one is uh, in superscript 239 and then lowercase pu, which like, you know. Is that I'm that's plutonium, I think. I think is that? yeah. Um whatever. I bet it's plutonium because I'm not a chemist, okay. This episode. Yeah. Um so Prime Minister Kaibuki summons Aramaki after plans to ship plutonium from Uchikon 7 are leaked to refugee terrorists despite a Coast Guard raid uh, that managed to halt a weapon sale to the terrorists. There are lingering worries that they may still attempt to capture the plutonium. Um, as a note, these are just synopses that I pulled from the internet. Uh, they're not ones that I wrote. To counter this, Section 9 is covertly assigned the mission of escorting the material out of the refugee district commanding the operation is Goda Kazundo who accompanies section nine to oversee the transfer. He and the team are in, uh, inserted into the refugee district by paradrop and arrive at the GSDA checkpoint where they are redressed in clothes befitting refugees and tasked with guarding a beat up SUV and shuttle bus uh, commandeered by other members of section nine for the purpose of moving the plutonium. Meanwhile, Gota discusses the mission with the commanding officer of the GSDA unit, who assigns three men to help Section 9 in their transport of the plutonium. Um, this is kind of weirdly written, but there's like this moment where they're like, we didn't know this was plutonium, we might have been exposed, and then Gota secretly talks to them. Um, and we find out why at the end, because it's not actually plutonium. Anyway... Uh, the team departs from the camp and proceeds to head out of the refugee district via the beltway and interstate. Along the way, the team encounters several of their refugees who live in poverty within Shinjuku. During the trip out of the district, the team encounters a rollover incident involving a garbage truck, prompting Section 9 members to exit their vehicles and investigate further. During a conversation with the refugees near the truck, a GSDA member mistakes a bent pipe in the hands of one refugee for a pistol. Um, Goda specifically says, look, he's he holding a, a pistol. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm once again going to take a pot shot at this internet syn- synopsis. But um, So, yeah, I think Goda kind of intentionally wants them to shoot even it might even recognize that it's not a pistol Um, but anyway and the uh, ensuing shootout results in the needless death of several refugees and ill feelings among the group these feelings are further increased when after arriving at the intended destination uh, the team discover that they were used as decoys the plutonium section 9 believed they were guarding was in fact shipped by sea Um, so they kind of just got used as pawns Mm mm-hmm 
Um, yeah, and I think um, this episode, one of the um, really striking things that it does is it advances this um, conflict that we were talking about last time um, with Section 9 being used by the government, um, integrated into the government, uh, and losing like autonomy uh, in that process. Um, yeah, there's a comment of I think there's a lot there's a lot of back and forth between uh, mostly like Bato, um, Bato and the major, and then Bato and Aramaki. Uh, Bato complaining that Section Nine is being like, you know, held by the scruff. Um, is this really what we're supposed to be doing, etc. Um, and then the internal like debates around that. Um, and then like more strikingly, the, um, Goda now like kind of stepping out of the shadows, um, to take control, uh, of this operation. Uh, but it's clear that it's the way that it unfolds, um, that section nine like has no autonomy in this operation and it feels like oh okay this is where like you know goda is controlling section nine now um like they're part of this larger apparatus where there are these other um where they're being deprived of of agency to some extent yeah um this was an episode just to to like I, I really debated whether or not to include this with our first episode because I think um like <coughs> uh in some ways, you know, between the recording of the last episode and this episode, we actually took a, a decent little break. Um just in terms of our schedules. And so it was kind of nice coming back to this and being like, oh yeah, here's a summation of everything that's been going on with like Goda and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like here's just like a, a summation and confirmation of like, yeah, Goda is like at odds with section nine and um, like messing with them and using them um, and, and kind of seeing himself as like a, a puppet master perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this conflict is like continuing to, yeah to evolve um and this is where it becomes you know we we already picked up on it which uh, it's in the show in like the first six episodes but this is where like even if you're kind of passively watching the show this is the one where it's like oh no goda is just like clearly manipulating things um the evil sis so yeah (laughs) yeah that evil sis um um i have a couple like other notes so one is I, i don't know exactly how much like you have for this episode just because i feel like it it is um almost like tying up a lot of stuff that we were already talking about um and so i don't i don't feel like a ton new is introduced here there's some stuff that's interesting um one thing i i do i made a note here but it happens throughout some of these episodes um i don't know how much you feel this but i feel like just like the faces in the animation have taken a, a hit in second gig compared to um the first season um and this episode in particular, I just noticed it at moments where like, like, especially the major's face is just drawn really badly a few times. Um, yeah, there's some, so. um, I, I definitely think there's some unevenness um, mm-hmm. because sometimes like, especially the faces, um, 
faces come to play such an important part at like many different moments in second gig um and also in these yeah. in this you know selection of episodes um and sometimes they're rendered in you know very good detail uh and then sometimes it is a little yeah you know a little blocky and like the part where where I notice it and get frustrated with it the most, and we'll get into this as we talk more about themes of phases later on. So, like, I guess I can put a pin in this, but um, is with the major's face just because, um, like, we we get this. Uh, do you know the name of the the assassin guy yet? I yeah, forget if you yeah. know it yet. Kuze. Kuze. Okay. I was like, I know that I know it, but I've just seen this multiple times. So, yeah, it's revealed. Um, I can't remember if the it's revealed in this like section of episodes. Yeah. Um, but like, we can already kind of see how like Kuze and and the major like are getting um, like paired up and, and played off of each other. And I talked about in the last episode this idea of like the no play, um, and I'll talk about this more later on, where. Um, you know, the one who wears the mask is often in the the sort of like lead position, and then there's the the person who um, is kind of positioned like playing off of them. And in some ways, for me, the series seems to be positioning the major as like that secondary position to Kuze. But then it makes it even more notable to me that I, I think throughout this, like at least these episodes, Kuze's face continues to be drawn pretty well. Um, they like understand the importance of like drawing his face as this like um, unmoving sculpture um, and and making sure that like the aesthetics of that sculpture maintain for the most part. Um, there's some like maybe far away shots where just like some details lost because you're drawing things far away, mm-hmm. but like none of it ever stands out in the way that like sometimes like the major's face is just drawn too large to look that bad. <laughs> yeah. um, and especially with her being like paired up with Kuze in these episodes, I just become even more frustrated that they're not giving her that same attention. Cause I think it's important. I, I think you could draw out in the series more and it is important to think about how does the major face, even though it is in the same way that like in no, um, multiple people might wear the mask, but the like person who always wears the mask is the, the main character is like the, the main position. Um, but in what way does like, Major Kusanagi's fa- uh, face also often, um, despite the fact that she's like able to control it more than he is, seemingly. How does it like continue to to function as a mask, and how does she like also um, often not emote and things with it as well? And I just yeah. feel like you could do that more if you're giving that attention to her face as well. But um, so I, I which will say, I feel like we got in the first season. <laughs> Yes, and I will say I think we get that in episode eleven. Um, I think we get like mm-hmm. exactly everything that you just described in episode eleven. Um, yeah, but so we can we can talk about it more in episode eleven. But yeah, but there is some unevenness happening happening for sure. Yeah, um, um, they're just they're just pouring all those resources into Cromartie High School at this point. <laughs> They really are, you know, all of the extensive yeah. facial animations in Cromartie High, yeah. all those very dynamic uh, animations that it that takes it's known time for. to stretch out the face. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that I just always like in this episode is where Gota um, kind of notes Bato's ceilings for the major. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But um, yeah, I don't know if you have other thoughts you want to get into here, but um, I think these episodes give us a lot about Goda. Um, he suddenly emerges as like not only the like apparent obvious antagonist, uh, mm-hmm. but also like you know more of his worldview and um, his philosophy comes up and kind of takes center stage. Uh, and it, it's kind of start, it starts with this episode um, where he speaks, um, he speaks a lot about um, information, like concealing information. Um, we see that it's like a tactical thing that he does. Um, of course he's, you know, an evil sis. So that's what you'd expect. Um from you know given his position um it's like the cia um he controls information um so there's a moment where he like privately talks to the army commander um and section nine is like what the fuck um but you know it uh and it draws attention um that he's like obviously doing this um and then he also like explicitly states uh, he has this kind of philosophy of um, government, and we will eventually learn that it's more than it's more than that. Um, but his philosophy of government is this kind of need to know, like you know, all parts of the system only need to know certain information. So, um, in order to operate, um, and in fact, it's important to not know certain information um, in order for you know to operate correctly, um, and. Uh, you know, so so all of this is kind of um, becomes significant later on when we uh, start putting the pieces together about Goda and um, what he's doing and and how he thinks. Um, and then, of course, he like we see. You know, you said puppet master. We see him pulling these strings, um, provoking this like killing of refugees. Um, without doing anything yeah. to like implicate himself he like very quietly says oh that that person's holding a gun i don't think anybody from section nine even hears it um it's just like the one soldier who's already like clearly rattled that he like yeah says it to and then the guy just you know starts this firefight um but um yeah so all of this is happening it's you know obvious that he becoming obvious that he's this antagonist or uh at least he seems to be so far um but yeah um yeah they still have plenty of time to do the jrpg trope where he's the antagonist up until like episode you know 23 or something and then suddenly it's like your best friend uh well no suddenly (laughs) it's your best friend who's also like a god um who uh changes into like five different forms during the fight um yeah. and you know it's just like unfurling like weird uh biblical angel like forms in front of you and you have to defeat each one yeah um yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um yeah uh just basically every jrpg rolled into one there mm-hmm. um so episode eight <laughs> um this is a individual episode. Uh, it's titled Vegetarian Dinner. Um, or the Japanese, the translation of the Japanese title 
And then the English title is just fake food um, in all caps. Uh, well, yeah, all of them are like in all caps. So other than, I guess, PU, the the plutonium, they had to get the lowercase there. Yeah. So right, otherwise you right. just think it's PU that smells bad. Yeah, they had the superscript and then the, the lowercase yeah. PU. Um, so there is some diversity in punctuation there. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I will I will keep pointing out that these are all caps titles. Just so we don't, you know, so, <laughs> so there's no confusion. Forget. So um, that we don't forget that it's one angry man. Trial! <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, exactly. Synopsis. Um, so in fake food, um, <laughs> so tired of Goda's manipulation, Aramaki decides to take the initiative and conduct his own investigation into the individual Eleven case while simultaneously looking into the evil sis. Um... Section 9 is split into two teams. Uh, one is focused on digging up additional info on the um, the individual 11 stuff. Um, and the other one is tasked with locating an ex-GSTA officer identified as a person of interest in a series of shootings. Um, at a, here you have at a local TV station, but I think it's, um, this, it's like around I, the city, again- right? I just straight copy pasted from Wikipedia here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so while on a stakeout of a Taiwanese vegetarian yeah, they, restaurant, they completely like this synopsis that I pulled. Just completely skips over. Also, he's believed to be working at a Taiwanese vegetarian restaurant while at the stakeout at that restaurant. <laughs> they just yes. jumped to you while at a stakeout at a Taiwanese vegetarian restaurant. Yeah, You're just like, like what? yeah, randomly. <laughs> Why are they there? <laughs> <laughs> So he just randomly chose this place. Um, mm-hmm. Turns out the guy's a vegetarian. Um, so they yeah. follow him to this restaurant. Um, that, that was That's not true. Um, <laughs> or it may, it may be true. I don't know. Um, well, he, he might he, be because he's he cooks it at this restaurant. Right, he, yeah. He, he's a vegetarian yeah. cook and he spent time in Taiwan. Um, yeah. Learning from Taiwanese monks. And also yeah. the synopsis just completely skips over like a important part of this episode, which is the entire discussion of like this fake food and how like Bato eats fake food because he's a cyborg. And then here's like this one. And then Toga being like, or Togasa being like, um, you know, well, why would these Taiwanese monks who like, don't eat meat, like want to create a, a vegetarian, vegetarian food, food that, that like looks and tastes, tastes like, like meat. And it's like, well, because there are people who are coming to the monastery who might become monks, but like previously weren't monks. And so they ate meat and like they want to like simulate that for people so that like it makes it easier to give up eating meat, you know? Yeah. So that's why um, we're here because yeah. our plot synopses are when, when you don't write them, I should say mm-hmm. uh, the plot synopses that are out there in the world are just woefully inadequate. Um, uh-huh. that's why we do the synopses here on ghost divers. Um, so, uh, zooming back to the Taiwanese vegetarian restaurant, which now we know why they're there. Um, they're staking out this restaurant, uh, and Bato and Togusa find out that section one, uh, has been fed false information about the same ex GSDA soldier, uh, and have set out to kill him on the assumption that the man is a world renowned terrorist. Um, Basically, there's a Taiwanese terrorist who is, like, kill on sight. Uh, 
like or you know japanese government is like listed him as kill on site or whatever um yeah and it's the info is fed to section one that um this terrorist is wearing like the the suspect's face so they think it's the terrorist wearing the suspect's face um so um Bato and Togusa um, find the guy. They're chasing him down. Section one finds him at the same time. Um, and they kill him before Bato and Togusa uh, can save him. Um, and then they briefly discuss, like, oh, wow. Um, you know, I guess we both just got played. Because this guy wasn't yeah. a tourist at all. He was really just, like, this completely other guy who had, you know information about the individual 11 and, and all this stuff that's going on there um yeah yeah so um you know we someone is yeah. manipulating intelligence and feeding that <laughs> intelligence to um to other sectors of the government and i wonder yeah who that sounds like um who um, could possibly be doing that the synopsis leaves out a bunch of the stuff where they are really looking into goda um and one like they find that he was this unassuming man, um, just really did not seem to stand out, and then had an accident, but didn't have like his face reconstructed after that. And now he has the distinctive face that we've seen in the show. Um, before he was kind of just like a nondescript dude, uh, which is like again tying into the stuff around his name that we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this like there's a comment of like, he leaves more of an impression now. Um, and there's sort of like this intentionality of like, I want to stand out, even if it is in these like, um, unusual ways, um, or like unexpected or, um, yeah. Um, Um, yeah. We also get the other big thing here is that we get, um, go to essentially watching Fox news or whatever. Uh, it's like, you know, some, it's some news channel where it's just a bunch of people yelling at each other like that style, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Goda seems to really like this, uh, so that it's not said in the show, but like, I, I pulled up the, the characters just to like really get the name. So his name is Shibashi Fumiya. Um, and the, she in Shibashi, um, is the same character that means like samurai or 11 in the individual 11 logo. Um, and so, there's some sort of tying there. Uh, what's also notable about this is that um, I forget the the more common name, but there's one where so like the she character is drawn with like a line straight down, and then there's like two lines, like one sort of in the middle and one at the bottom, and the one in the middle is slightly longer than the one at the bottom. There's another character that is similar, but it is slightly shorter. And I forget how you say that name, um, but that's a more common name in Japan. So this is like a, a a name where you might see it and misread it at first and then realize that it's Shibashi. And they like make a point of zooming in so that you can see that the the middle line is longer. Um, so I just think this is like both names and faces continue to be important in this series. Or yeah. this, um yeah, the season. Yeah. Um, I think the other big thing that we get, or, or the thing that like was revealing for me, is this discussion of Goda's thesis, um, mm-hmm. which they Aramaki's friend from uh, from season one. I can't remember his name. Um, 
but the other um what well, Kubota, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, um that sounds right. Has like dug up Goda's thesis. Um a lot of the stuff about Goda is revealed in the conversation between the two of them where Kubota is like um you know telling him all the stuff that he's found on oh, I have to check this because do you have the transcript up? Uh, yes, I do. Um, it is Kubota. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the things that Kubota has dug up is this thesis that I guess it was like his th- senior thesis in college or whatever. Um, and it has a super long title, um, which I guess um, I'll go ahead and read. Um if I can find it. Yeah, um, I've, I have something I'm going to do from the transcript for the next episode too. So, okay, good. Um, um. Uh, okay. Given that cyber brains govern socialization, which do they favor collectivity or individuality, a new theory of heroism from the standpoint of a producer, um, which is exactly the overlong, like overwrought, title that someone would give their senior thesis um yeah but uh so apparently the contents of this thesis um well i'll also read from this from the transcript uh quote he puts forward that there's a tendency in our social structure for cyber brains to instill a subconscious desire for collectivity at the same time they eliminate individuality but in response to this they create a leader as part of the system who will consciously control the subconscious of, of the masses um, I won't get into this too much here because um, we can expound on this when we go to um, in a later episode. Um, but we're finally getting some of his worldview. Um, we're getting stuff about cyberization's effects on individuality and collectivity. Um, this thing that we talked about in episode two with Gino um, about cyberbrain technology instilling ideological content um uh and how that alteration of consciousness uh works out on a large social scale um and then you know his um proposal that there is this hierarchy of consciousnesses um potentially a fascistic um idea here which again we will expound on later. Um, I think it becomes less of a potential and more of a certainty. Um, and then, of course, uh, the title of the thesis um, being a new theory of heroism. Um, so the concept of heroism tied into this as well. Uh, the hero being uh, potentially this, you know, consciousness that is nominated, this greater consciousness. Um, or controlling consciousness, uh, or somehow related to that. Um, but heroism is, you know, a thing that um, continues to come up uh, as, as a named um, idea throughout these episodes as well. Um, so some of these, like, various um, strains being tied together. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, one thing that you you kind of brought up here that I find interesting and um, 
I don't know. We we can talk more as the series goes on what we think about um, the way that like we'll, we'll get into this in like later episodes as well. But like the way that it is um, talking about ideology as like a, a, a in a, a different way than like ideology functions currently. Um, and one thing that I, I I find somewhat like like I like episode two with the stuff with Gino, mm. but sometimes some stuff sits weird with me about how, like how much aspects of his worldview that seem, um, I don't, like he has this like approach to cyborg people and like the disgust of cyborg food that like this episode almost confirms in a way that like, I don't know exactly how to describe it other than like, um, I, I, I feel like in in a way that, like, the first season didn't... This show seems to be more just directly anti-cyborg at, at points. Um, which is just something that, um, like, part of what I liked about the first season of Ghost in the Shell is how much it sat at, like, the, the difficult points of, like, there are new dangers and, and new things with... with like cyberization and yet there's also like new potentialities that can be positive. Um, and some of the, like it being like cyborg food, it being this strange thing. Um, and then this like comparison with, um, Buddhism that also like it, there's a, a strange comparison being made that doesn't feel fully genuine between like synthetic food for, for robots or, you know, cyborg bodies and then like uh, an actual religious practice um, that I don't like, I don't have a final take on it other than it is a thing that um, I guess I am like, especially as we're going through and I'm watching this more intently for the podcast, I'm becoming more hyper aware of. And I'm, I like, I'm hoping that by the end of these episodes, I'll have more of a direct take on. Um, but there, there is something almost like that cyborg, the, these episodes feel in a way that um, I feel like it was more like messy and inconclusive in, in some of the other Ghost in the Shell stuff. Um, almost like that cyborg bodies are just more monstrous mm. here. Um, yeah. and, not, and, and not in this and not the, not in this like thorny, like, uh, you know, Frankenstein's creature, like Frankenstein's monster, like the monstrous there being something that's like actually getting at like, um, forms of oppression that like human beings go through. Um, and like it, it is talking about the human through talking about something that is like, um, beyond human or transhuman. And I, I think a lot of Ghost in the Shell works also. Like there's a certain similarity between Frankenstein and, and like, you know, the Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, I think they're coming at it from very different directions, but both of them are talking about like anxieties around the human body and technology. Um, but then also trying to like recognize the, the humanity or, um, even if it is like something beyond human, like still like the, the inherent like dignity of these like, quote unquote monstrous like unhuman things um and it, it is like tugging and pulling at like fears around these things but in this like more complex nuanced way whereas this is yeah it is falling more into like this conservativeness that when it shows up with gino kind of makes sense because he's like this um yeah 
because all the other things you know, that it, yeah. are shown about him and how how he's how he is presented and um, yeah within the context of the episode but but there's like almost a a weirdness in this episode of like confirming so much of what gino is thinking as correct and that his failures or his like he he's not a danger to the state not because he understands the horrors of it but because he is like just unwilling to take any of the steps to do anything um i don't know like yeah no i think this is just a (laughs) I think that's a, I, I think this is a really good point. Um and like a key thing that's happening um that you've brought out. Um per, like personally I feel like this like the anti-cyberization um like viewpoint with the various layers of like um distrust and disgust and the like uh, various like affects um contained within it i yeah. think that it is present um but i think the show frames it in dialogue with like these other perspectives like i i think that in every um in all these instances where it's presented, like it exists in a dialogue and a critical context um, that doesn't fully like close it off, um, but that like relativizes it in an interesting way. Um, yeah. So like this happened with Gino. We already you know discussed how that how we see the various like factors um like why Gino has this response and the way that you know it it's not even coherent or consistent or it's not reducible to like you know just a basic disgust of or rejection of cyberization because you know that he he falls in love with Kuznagi or whatever um yeah there's complexity like there is eventually this weird complexity that's generated there um and then the op- context of the episode puts that in you know into further um uh, under further examination and then here all of the stuff about i mean there like all the cyborg food um always occurs in this dialogue between Bato and Togusa um, yeah, where Togusa is like, "Oh, this is fake food. This is gross," and he has this affect of disgust. And then Bato is challenging it and being like, "There, it's perfectly edible. Like, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing disgusting about it." Um, and then they end up like, you know, having uh larger discussions about, you know. The role of food for like humans, um, the experience of eating food, like et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Togus's like my main point is that Togus's disgust and that affect is like challenged. Um and then, you know, we'll see even more like in trial, um Togusa, like his relationship to cyberization is put under the microscope. 
Um, and his, yeah. and the show like puts that into a critical context as well. So this is just like the starting point for, you know, some of this is coming from Togusa. And then it's like, the show's not done with like scrutinizing this, this aspect of, um, of Togusa. Um, and then Gota, like, you know, I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about Gota, um, and what his view of cyberization is. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like this viewpoint is, continues to be part, like, it is present in a way that is, um, it, it emerges as, like, a voice in a way that is not, it doesn't explicitly seem to do, um, in season one, um, which is interesting, but the voice is like put into dialogue. Um, and I think there's a lot of room for like critical yeah. evaluation there. Yeah. Um, it, it is one of those things of just like, I'd, in this episode, it just always hits me extra weird just because for me the 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 like comparison that's being made to this like taiwanese vegetarian food um i kind of see what they're doing and yet at the same time like um i don't know it doesn't like fully work for me because of the i feel like there are there are other comparisons that can be made around like the the synthesis the synthetite whatever i'm stumbling over but like making like synthetic synthesizing or yeah. or yeah synthesizing food um that um i i guess i just wish were being explored a little bit more but also some of this is like the show is coming out before beyond Meat, right like yeah um like there there are different ways that we can think about like the creation of things that on one hand are like gearing towards what what might be you know like vegetarian food being something that's like perhaps more sustainable um trying to get things where people can eat like a burger that is not eating me and things like that but then also how that becomes like um commercialized or, or corporatized um like the i i guess for me part of what i'm saying is that the conversation that's happening here is perhaps not presaging what has actually happened in the intervening years in a way where I am watching it now and I am wanting it to like interrogate this conversation about fake food more than it, it does. Um, and maybe that's like unfair to expect that of this thing that came out before something like beyond burger, <laughs> but like, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, I just feel like there's like more to be done here. Um, and I feel like even at the time there was still more to that you could be discussed around like, but also since the show has come up, I can't come out. Like there has been more of a push towards vegetarianism and it being like this thing that it has, um, I think in a way that it hadn't before developed like more of a, a corporatized version as well. Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, um, I think it's, yeah, there there definitely is more. And I think, like, the comparison of, you know, for the monks, like, having to eat quote-unquote fake food or, like, simulated meat is a religious, like, imperative. Like, their, their inability is because of this religious commitment, whereas, like, you know, in the context of the show, it's because 
you know, people have cyberized bodies and like, to what extent, I mean, there's definitely a lot to be worked out there of like, you know, is choosing to be cyberized, like a religious commitment um, or tantamount to it. Like that's kind of a weird, (laughs) it's kind of a weird thing to think about. Um, and then, of course, some people don't get to choose, really. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, maybe there is some, like, some discussion to be had about relig- religion there. Um, but it's not clear. It, it's kind of a muddled, like, comparison. But but I think it's just that, like, the... I, I don't... It doesn't feel like the episode is really driving at anything specifically about vegetarianism other than just like this one esoteric interest of like sensory experience and how that relates to like, you know, uh, our longing for like certain foods. Um, and when we're not able to have them, it is in some ways tying in more with like stuff that's going to be talked about with nostalgia soon um but it it is just i guess it's not even necessarily like it talking about vegetarianism but rather i think that this comparison of the cyborg the fake cyborg food just like to this like religious vegetarianism um is missing out on like other interesting things that can be talked about that also existed back then that also go into like the the processing and commodification of food that mm. I think is also like tied up in this um, in a way that it, it is not exploring here and because of that feels somewhat lacking to me um, or or you know like it, it is getting at one aspect of it but I just I guess some of this is that I'm a person who cares a lot about food and like you know what food means culturally and socially and blah 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 um that like i just feel like there's richer material to explore here beyond just this one point um which is like a a valid point but there's just there's more to do and i wish that it was more interested in it but anyway (laughs) (laughs) um Um, especially because of the way that it comes up here like ties into some um like weird conservatism that we we might continue to think about in this show. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we can move on to episode nine. Um, Duel, the hope named despair. Uh, This is a dual episode. Japanese title, the hope named despair. Um, English title, ambivalence. (laughs) That's a lot of enthusiasm, you know, for for ambivalence. ambivalence. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, according to Wikipedia, after the failed attempt to bring the ex-GSTA officer in for questioning, Kusanagi decides to hack into the uh, CIS database. Um, we're just saying CIS here because it's funnier. Um, <laughs> uh, to directly determine... I'm just watching you in real time type CIS. It messed up my ability to read. Hack into the CIS database to directly determine what Goda is up to with the help of Tachikomas who mount an assault on the building's defense barriers. Kusanagi hacks into the uh, CIS server uh, Decaton Share. 
to uncover Goda's motives. During her subsequent meeting with Goda, she learns that he once had ambitions to be counted among the powerful, but has since resigned himself to never having that position. He aims to create a new hero for the masses, someone who they can identify with beyond simply knowing that person's face or name. Goda expects this person to take command of the situation he is currently creating and bring about some type of conflict, which he believes will benefit Japan in the long run by returning the country to its former glory. Elsewhere, Bato, Borma, and Togusa are uh, out to stop a suicide bomber, uh, but so far have only been playing catch-up. While Bato trusts a hunch and has the chief check out a local surveillance systems, uh, the local surveillance systems for people thought to be um, the bombers. Um, his hunch pays off as the images of the bombers reveal that all of, uh, all of them be refugees, prompting Aramaki to issue warnings to all police districts in the city to watch for refugees acting suspiciously. No weird <laughs> political stuff that might happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, so one such refugee turns up on a subway station claiming she has a bomb. Bato and Togusa arrive to find the woman surrounded by um, SAT officers. Togusa has nearly convinced her to surrender when Bato arrives and forcefully subdues the woman by shooting her. It is revealed that the bomb is in her stomach, linked to a trigger inside an artificial tooth, uh, which Bato rips out in a scene that is the most horrifying scene in this entire anime to me. Um, I just have bad stuff around teeth being ripped out. Um, and she is taken to the medical center to have the bomb surgically removed. Um, further evidence that Kojima really loves Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. <laughs> um Um, yeah did you ever play i think it was the the psp um metal gear solid game where uh a girl has her womb replaced with a bomb yeah yeah that's i think that's metal gear solid 4 no it's um no no it's like peace walker yeah one of the yeah um yeah it also got put on like one of the later releases uh, so it got like, like, ported to a uh, not PSP system. There's like flashbacks of it in Metal Gear Solid Four, I think. Yeah. Like the the like her death or whatever is a yeah. plot point. Um, but isn't everything a plot point in Metal Gear Solid? Um, somehow or another, every plot point is connected to every other <laughs> one. Um, does it make sense? Maybe not. But they're gonna draw that line between point a and point c um anyway um also it has vampires in it like what um anyway um (laughs) um that sometimes i just i'm walking around just in my daily life and i'm just like oh yeah like Metal gear solid 2 has a vampire in it um yeah what the fuck (laughs) um anyway um this do you, is another do you want me to do you want me to before we like really get into the discussion do you want me to just read some of the conversation between um major kusanagi as we do get the return of her uh like fantasy star online persona uh chroma <laughs> here uh i've learned the name from the transcripts apparently uh her avatar's name is chroma um this man like maybe comes up in this episode but uh really gets called out in the the, yeah, um, we can. I was just going to add some yeah. plot points to the synopsis because okay. it's another one that, like, um, yeah, there's like su- su- multiple suicide bombings that are taking place across the city. Yeah, um, and 
like we're thrust into the episode like in the middle of it and they're trying to stop them um but like you know several have already occurred um Mm -hmm. and then they like it's somehow related to the individual 11 thing um and they figure out that it's like you know that they're all being perpetrated by refugees um and Bato like deduces this and then he says like oh look for refugees within this certain like basically do this profiling um to look for like potential bombers and then that's how they catch like the the woman or the girl um at at the very end um and then like the thing with Goda maybe we can talk about this because I couldn't tell. So it seemed to me that like what Kusanagi hacks into is a um, is like a facsimile of Goda's like consciousness that's like stored externally, or at least I thought that's what like was hinted at. Um, yeah. Am I completely off base there? I, I might be. Um, but as I was like watching the episode, I, I thought that's what was suggested. So, was he somehow, he like has a facsimile of his consciousness like stored externally. And that is what she like hacks into and is talking to. Um, but then like Goda is obviously aware that like it's been hacked. And yeah. It's unclear to me, like, is it external or internal? Is this a, just a, like, representation of her, like, accessing his cyber brain itself? Because um, I, I think, like, part of what's happening is there's this conversation that's being used to, um, like, dramatize in some ways, like, within fiction. Kusanagi being able to hack into his, like, some some version of Goda and like access his thoughts and get information. Um, but I don't fully understand like how does that thing that she's hacking into relate to Goda himself? Is it just like his cyber brain or is it some like backup or something? Um, like yeah. you might like, yeah. Cause there's that line I'm looking at the transcript now and this is, this is what's making me think, um, along these lines is Kusanagi is, um, being like, Oh, this, so this is the decaton share I've heard so much about. Yeah. <laughs> is it running a simulation using a virtual personality constructed out of a mountain of data? Identify yourself. And then Goda quote unquote is like, my name is Kazundo Goda. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know, like, but that, I just want that to be. This, this is actually the start of the, of the plot. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, this is actually the start of the part that I was going to read, which is I'm going to say what's in the transcript. Um, just people at home know that uh, Chroma is Major Kusanagi's uh, fantasy star online character. Um, so Chroma. Um, so this is the Decon share or Decaton share that I've heard so much about. Is it running a simulation using a virtual personality constructed out of a mountain of data? Identify yourself. Um, Goda. My name is Kosundo Goda. I was involved in the molecular engineering robot project at Greater Japan Research and Technology that created radioactive fallout scrubbers, among other things, which we, we've like kind of heard come up as technology before. I think at least in the um, 
the episode where they went into the like fallout place mm-hmm. um chroma fallout scrubbers you must mean the japanese miracle were you an engineer this might be the first or uh, appearance of this term japanese miracle this is going to come up a lot though yeah um, no it, it it appeared in that um in that same okay. episode yeah um goda no not at all actually my brain specializes in linguistic operations this is were you an engineer no not at all um actually my brain specializes in linguistic operations after two great wars this country once again rose to prominence as an economic superpower thanks to the radioactivity scrubber technology for which i acted as a producer at the time i entertained every expectation of rising to the upper ranks of men as well. However, in much the same way that this country was in, unable to garner a position of distinction in the international community, I too found that I couldn't hold a significant post within the system. Um, so this is like, I want to like take moments where we can comment on what I'm reading, or I, I think it's significant that at this moment, there's this connection being drawn between Gota and then Japan. Yeah. Um, uh, Chroma, what are you saying then? That society didn't place any concrete value on a paper pusher, a man who is all talk? Goda, it's not quite so simple. A long time, long time ago, I noticed that the problem in our current social system is that it suffers from an inherent and fatal flaw in its structure. Uh, Chroma, which is Goda, the degradation of information, which by all rights should not be uh, degradable, and the illusory originality commonly known as individuality. These are the chinks of the mechanism that trigger synchronization all too easily within our present social structure. I call it acts of creation by the name of consumption. Do we want to try and break down this this thing Goda says here a little bit? Um, <laughs> do you, do you intend to like read the rest, or or do you want just yeah? Leave we, it there? I mean, we can we, we, don't we have can to. go. I was wondering if you want to do immediately break it down now or cause I'm going to read the rest, but I was like, do we want to break it down in this moment or read the rest here? Um, um, no, let's go, let's go through the whole thing and then we'll just have okay. to draw from. Um, okay. Chroma. It sounds like a conclusion that would be reached by someone who's barricaded himself in the net. Goda, you're referring to a standalone complex, I believe. Well, as luck would have it, I possessed a rather high tolerance for solitude. However, it took me a very long time to realize something. My contributions to society wouldn't be recognized or hadn't been recognized. Um, wait, my contributions to society hadn't been recognized. The reason I was given a kudos I deserve from the system was due to the mental disposition I'd been born with. I feel like some words missing there. But anyway, punctuation. Is, um, yeah. Yeah. Punctuation is or something. Um, it sadly prevented them from doing so. Chroma. In other words, you had an inferiority complex. Go to know the problems deeper. It lay it. Uh, in my very existence, in every society, there are certain personalities that are longed for, characteristics sought by the system itself. Most of us even lust after them. But you know it's funny, because in spite of this, they're totally unaware of that longing. Chroma, and you're satisfied with the man you are now? Goda, more than I ever expected, life often surprises us with wondrous revelations. In fact, here's one. Were you aware that the ghost whose existence was paradoxically proven by the physical body assumes the appearance of that body? Chroma, not really. There was a thinker who looked at revolutions and saw them in his own reason, or saw in them his own reason for being. He tried to practice what he preached, though. Goda, you're alluding to Patrick Sylvester. There was a time when I too idolized his thinking. I once looked up to my hero and wholeheartedly hoped to someday emulate his charisma. I'm a man who stands above other men. 
That notion has filled my head, driven me, by my burning obsession for as long as I can remember. Ultimately, my physical form stood in the way, but fate was on my side, caught in an accident that left me wandering between life and death. My body underwent a transformation, and my ghost unexpectedly changed as well. Just like the author you mentioned, a man who stumbled upon a revolution, I too was given a mission. That mission became my newly found purpose in life. I was to rebuild the system known as the state. Chroma, an advocate for state, uh, an advocate of state reform, or just a guy with delusions of grandeur. Goda, I'll tell you what this country is searching for right now. It's the return to a Shangri-La way of life that is built entirely on the backs of outsiders. Although occurring by accident, there is a period in this country's history in which this had come to pass. Even now, those without motive yearn for this without realizing it. All I'm doing is giving them what they want. Chroma, and you're making yourself out to be a hero in the process. Goda, I'm not interested in things like that now. I realize what my role is, and it's to be the producer of that hero. My purpose is to create an activist who will represent the unmotivated and fulfill, uh, represent the unmotivated and fulfill the desire of the people. One who will give them what they crave uh, for, but are unable to put a voice to. Chroma, Shangri-La is a result of consumption. In quotation marks, um, isn't that Japan as it was in the in the Cold War? Well, then I'd like to know who this hero is. You say you're producing for society. Is it the individual eleven? Um, At which then, point he's he doesn't yeah. respond. Yeah, uh, Tachikoma is like, oh no. Um, as a note, we really get the mascot character Tachikoma just, uh, you know, mascotting it up all over this episode. <laughs> They're just yeah. being goofballs in the corner of the screen constantly. Um, um, there is like one more, <clears throat> one more exchange um, that uh-huh. that I'll, I'll just read really quick. Um, there's a break with like Tachikoma and whatnot, and then um, Chroma understood you're trying to manipulate and direct the thinking of the general public by setting up the refugees to be an imaginary enemy of the state an easy target am i right and goda says it's necessary to guide the people's thinking as is bending the law in order to do that the end justifies the means as they say this theory applies equally to terrorists and democratic nations um and and it it goes on but i think that's um yeah this whole dialogue is incredibly significant but um I think that probably gives us enough to like start talking about Goda um, and yeah. some of this stuff that's going on. Um, yeah. Do you, do you want to start some of the breaking down just because I read a bunch and I'm drinking water now? Yeah. Um, so we talked last time about like all of these um like right wing like conservatism, right wing politics and fascism um becoming like a central focus in um in second gig. And like here we get even more of that. Um the veil is kind of like taken off even more. Um we had the um one of the things that I that I noted this time around that I think I don't know if we if we caught it last time, um, but the May fifteenth incident that uh, is referenced here and then is like was really important last episode, or I mean the last Ghost Evers episode, um, is like a real incident from Japanese history. Oh yeah, no, I yeah. I was talking about the real incident when I, when okay. I brought it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. I'm glad. 
Um, I don't know. I didn't know if we like discussed that or not. Um, I don't know if I specifically mentioned. I was just. I jumped into talking about it as an actual incident, um, but didn't know if maybe that didn't come across. So it's worth saying explicitly that's a real historical incident. Yes, um, and like it's not really like the treatment of it here is really not fictionalized too much. Um, yeah, or or at all. Um, I mean, the stuff about like how it relates to Patrick Sylvester and whatever is you know fictionalized, but like. The incident itself is is a historical event. Um, and here again, like, we get Kusanagi making reference to, like, a specific period of Japanese history. Um, Cold War Japan. Also, this, like, implied uh, history of the Japanese economic miracle. Um, which is, yeah. you know, it, it is kind of uh subtly referenced in the the japanese miracle of the nuclear uh, of this fictional technology um of the nuclear scrubbers um so we have here like first of all a second gig engaging with japanese history openly explicitly and critically um to an extent that just did not happen in season one. Um, like at all. Um, it, it's moved from being like, you know, one of the things we noted um, in our last discussion, which is like, oh, suddenly like a historical context and geopolitics is more present. Um, it's beyond that. Like it's an open engagement with like, actual modern Japanese history. Um, And I would say like a critical engagement um, as the show is dealing with um, like these potentialities for uh, fascism in like in the moment of the show, in the world of the show. Um, it's also looking back at like, you know, conservatism and fascism in Japanese history um, in like, you know, 30s and the 40s. Um, and I think there's a, a profound like uh, dialogue happening here um, that is really like, that really warrants uh, a lot of unpacking. Um and the way that that, like, the cult of heroism, um, the ties of the individual eleven to like the May fifteenth incident, um, and then that in turn being linked to like capitalism, uh, Japan, like Cold War Japan, um, and the Japanese economic miracle. And then, like, now be- that now being linked to, like, Goda's proposed regime or, like, um, this kind of conservative re- revolution that is potentially brewing in, um, you know, in the world of the show, like, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I'm just going to, like, frame that up. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed here is... 
Goda has a he has a like an ideology that for me is almost like reminiscent of Carl Schmidt. Um the, you know, German um political philosopher who was a Nazi and, um you know it, I think that's you know probably enough of a description. Um but Schmidt has this idea about like that um one of the like pillars of um political organization is a distinction between like you know enemy and friend um and that societies are structured by like you know um not only this kind of like in group out group thing um but specifically like by an oppositional by an enemy um which you know goda seems to be proposing here um and then we we see a lot of other stuff happening um in this arc of episodes that is trending towards the same thing um trying to create um a conflictual state between like japanese citizens and the refugees um but then also conditioning the japanese citizens to think of the refugees like as an enemy um and you know here we see some of the intent behind that um that oh you know this is going to like uh in uh, seemingly on goda's view um if we can create this distinction then that will uh provide some sort of structure um you know that that is necessary um that can fill this void um of you know this void that we see where um society seems to be breaking down in these various ways um goda wants to fill the void by you know reforming the state and this is kind of the starting point um and then you know continuing the point uh that we discussed from before from his thesis um that somehow people yearn for a quote-unquote certain type of personality um to take control and to lead them um you know this is a uh common like notion of uh fascist politics um that people need to be led by a strong leader strong personality um and and that's this is also like kind of um like a schmidtian thing where you need like um the will of a leader who can um decide um who has a sovereignty to make decisions and to decide like um you know what what is law and what is not who the enemy is and who who who's not um and like et cetera et cetera et cetera um so basically what I'm trying to say <laughs> um is that goda is like articulating a kind of i think there's probably more complexity to it um but the broad strokes of like a fascist um society um yeah and and proposing this as like you know the um the solution to um you know this various social breakdowns that we see happening as a result of um technology and um the the various impacts of uh, of technology 
Yeah. Um, I, I think that's all good. Like, I don't know how much I have to add to what you've laid out, except for this one thing, which is, is more of like a, a prompt for, um, I think both of us to, to continue to think about as this series progresses, um, which is, and this is going to come up more when we get to, um, some of the, the later episodes as well. Um, but like, like I think episode 12 in particular gets into this. There's a certain like literalizing, uh, of ideology into, um, this thing that is like more directly controlled by an individual that I don't know. I fully agree with as like, like there's almost like this, this great man of history thing that's being like proposed at least at this moment around Goda as him being like uniquely positioned and able to manipulate all of these like broad political things. Um, and being able to like recognize perhaps like the fascistic impulses in Japanese society and, and find ways to play it up. Um, and I, I just, as we continue, I want us to like continue to think about like, um, what, what do we think that the series is doing? Having go to as like a single individual who's able to like enact the, this control. Um, you know, like a, a single person rather than, uh, I think the way that, you know, even like the big great men of history or, or, you know, um, like, like Hitler as this like huge figure that arose is still like rising out of other things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and is manipulating things on like a less direct way than Gota is able to. Um, and maybe some of this is just, the series talking about the fears is like uh, of cyberization of the way that that would open people up to manip- yeah. manipulation. Um, but I, I think it's something for us to continue to think about and talk about as we get into like later episodes. But I just, I want to like say this now, um, not sure. being like, let's respond and have like opinions right now, but let us continue to think about it as it goes on. Um, how is good to being positioned in relation to how the series is also talking about like the way ideology functions in the society. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, before moving on, I'll, I'll just add, like, because I think this ties into what you brought up earlier about um, how is, like, conservatism, like, treated what, like, yeah. in, in second gig? Um, because we see like second gig is very clearly um spinning out the various like political implications that see that um season one started on um like how and, and we discussed this at length last time but um the ways that this technology um deprives people of agency the questions that it raises for democracy um, the you know eroding the potential for democracy um and it uh in these various ways um concretizing like uh power imbalances um and and so on and so forth um so you know after just a few episodes of second gig we're already you know 
presented with, okay, yes, there is this breakdown um, where the possibility for democracy is severely threatened. Um, And then we get, like, these voices um, arising, you know, where where one proposal is this kind of, like, um, you know, uh, techno-fascism. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think continuing to look at, like, the series is setting up a dilemma, um, a voice, like, one possible response is emerging, um, and, you know, how that, like, how this dialogue and how these various voices, like, um, are presented, um, and how they interact, um, I think will give us a lot to, um, to dig into later, uh, as we get more, uh, I mean, I, I've only, you know, I've only seen 13 episodes right now, so I don't know how it's going to resolve. Um, um, so yeah. Uh, episode 10. Yeah. Episode 10 talking more about well, the breakdown yeah. of social order and institutions. This episode's um, gonna go so long. We gotta like speed through some of these episodes. I'm <laughs> just looking at we have so many episodes to do. Oh my god. Anyway. Well We're not even halfway through our episodes, Connor. Episode ten. Ep- <laughs> episode ten. Um individual, uh Japanese title, one angry man, English title, trial. Um on his way home from work, Togusa becomes involved in a domestic dispute. Um already I'm like what um these are not our synopses uh, on his way home from work togusa finds a woman being chased by a man with a gun um she runs in front of togusa's car and screams for help uh trying to protect the woman togusa fires several rounds into her assailant's prosthetic limbs in an effort to disable him uh but despite this togusa fails to prevent the woman's death uh continuing to be pretty bad at his job yeah um since Togus is the- bad at his job, <laughs> he's he's definitely slipping. Um, yeah. Since Togus carried out the shooting while off duty, a preliminary hearing is convened to ascertain the facts in the case. The suspect's parents, who we are told are rich, um, hire a well-known lawyer, a former DA, to defend their son. Um, and the DA wastes no time attempting to make Togus look bad. Uh, first by criticizing his choice of handgun, and then by claiming that Togusa acted out of a subconscious hatred for cyborgs, while making the excuse that the defendant uh, suffered from defective prosthetic parts. Um, yeah, he really just, like, you know, yeah. pulls every card he has. Um, when Section 9 sets out to clear Togusa's name, they stumble across some interesting information about the suspect's lawyer. Uh, apparently, he has been secretly colluding with prosthetics companies to rig and bury product defect lawsuits. In addition, he is likely acting under orders from the evil sis to use the case to pull all of Section 9 into court uh, to embroil them in a humiliating public scandal, uh, potentially maybe imprison them, uh, or, you, you know, whatever else. Uh, Kusanagi um, hacking Togusa's brain is... Uh, threatens to expose these secrets in court, which prompts the lawyer to drop his charges against Togusa, um, while the state formally brings uh, formally brings murder charges against the suspect. 
However, the lawyer and his client are later severely injured in a car accident. Um, implied, but I think heavily. more than implied, heavily implied yeah. to have been arranged by Section 9 uh, in retaliation for Tokus's public humiliation. We literally get Borma, like, dispose of this car, r- remove all records of it while on the TV. It's like, horrible car accident. Yeah, like Lawyer one, and car, his client. One, yeah, one car mysteriously runs off, runs the victim's car off the road and disappears into the night. <laughs> and then Borma's like chopping the keys off. Um, yeah. So yeah. But he definitely um, did that shit. And they're like, there's no justice in the courts these days, but maybe there's still divine rep- retribution right before that happens. So yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I feel like you're going to have a little bit more to say about that. I like this episode. It's a, it's like a, to me, this is a funny episode. <laughs> um, yeah, it, ki- it kind of like, is. Yeah, like for what Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is, this is a funny episode. Um, the like Togusa's like, you know, self proud, like, oh, I'm going to defend myself and I'm just going to tell the truth. Yeah, and just like his like complete naivete about how the system works and everything, um, and also just like incompetence at multiple levels, including like not disabling the assailant correctly, um, not realizing that it seems like Kuzanagi's like just use an encrypted com line, you idiot! <laughs> like, let us talk yeah. to you. <laughs> In- intentionally, yeah, intentionally not doing it. Yeah, it, it, um, it's kind of revealed that he's like, and then intentionally the biggest, not. There's this part where he gives an impassioned speech, and it zooms in on his face, and it does that, um, that like dolly zoom. Um, I don't know if you're aware <laughs> of how the shots, like the style of shots, done in in cinema, where you're mm-hmm. like literally moving the on camera a on a dolly while also yeah. doing it, and so you get like it's zooming in on the face, but then like the background is like moving differently. Um, anyway, um. That, that like, dolly zoom happening here just gives me Crow High vibes in a way that, like, every time I see it during this episode, I just bust out laughing. <laughs> um, it's yeah. not, like, full Crow High, but I feel it there. <laughs> so much of this episode is just Togusa twisting in the wind. Yeah. And, like, f- like flailing helplessly. <laughs> um. But I think a um, lot of I think that's kind of the point of the episode in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it so so first of all, it was kind of weird watching this for the first time. The way that like we just suddenly pivot into like a legal thriller yeah. territory. This this is an example too of like compared to the first season, second gig is still often. Um, having like the thread of the main plot running through, like it's running through this episode. Goda and like the sis come up here, the evil sis. Um, but this is one of the, and we'll get another one later on. This is one of the first ones that just like truly feels like most of the episode is kind of just its own little procedural thing, right? Um, there's some like accoutrement put on here that like ties it into what goat is doing and like, Oh, it's just another ploy that Goda has. But like, for the most part, this is just like, yeah, we're just going to do a a courtroom drama episode. Um, and we're going to do a tribute to 
12 angry men in the title <laughs> yeah yeah it's, um, it's so it's pretty odd to just like get this out of nowhere um because we really haven't gotten any like judicial anything um mm-hmm. so far um but i did think like thinking about it a little bit more um there's a way that this is kind of like continuing this panorama um around you know around like the japan of you know ghost in the shell second gig um and showing how like the various institutions have been are either like breaking down or are corrupt uh corrupted somehow um and you know we we see the various ways that the judicial system is um broken down um as a result of like these same forces that are um at play eroding the other institutions of government um so it kind of feels like this you know this panorama where it's like oh yeah and also the judicial system is like you know subject to all of this manipulation and whatever um but the the thing that i think um is most interesting about this episode is um it ties into the discussion we've been having about like cyberization and um various attitudes towards it um and this is kind of like embodied with togusa um he like you know it's always been an aspect of togus togus's character um that he's not cyberized um and here like the motif of the trial becomes very interesting because like this aspect of Togus's character is literally put on trial um, and critically examined <laughs> um, with like, you know, the motif of the episode, which is the legal thriller. Um, and of course, in the context of the episode, it's done by this smarmy lawyer who's trying to conceal the truth and, you know, um, pin this, like, pin these things on Togusa that are not really valid. Um, but beneath that surface layer of, you know, uh, of the plot, um, there's also this, like, interesting aspect of, um, like, Togusa's, his relationship to cyberization has never really been um, examined and critiqued interrogated in this way um and all of a sudden we get that um happening now um and like so you know he's uh questioned in the various ways like his revolver um yeah which a lot of these things too are are calling to like a certain conservatism um or traditionalism with togusa like the revolver he he gives the argument that many would have which is like oh it's you know it doesn't jam it's more reliable um but also it is like often like a revolver is a symbol of like uh an earlier time um cinematically often like the the western is the the genre of the revolver you know um we see depictions here of one that Togusa is really at home and also 
unsurprisingly has to lie to his wife about what his job is. Um, But like, you know, we get Togusa as a family man, which continues to be in stark contrast to every other member of section nine. Like he is the one who like has a family. He goes home to him in a way that, um, you know, we know for a fact that is not the major's life. That is not Bato's life. Um, And seemingly is not like Borma or um, Or Ishikawa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pause. We we will get later is like just, sleeps around with women constantly yeah yeah um so we haven't really gotten much saito here but don't worry saito fans there's some saito coming um (laughs) (laughs) but like um you know so like that is being brought in here um and then also then this relationship with cyberization which i i find interesting too because like one of the main areas where this kind of anti-cyberization first came up um most extensively in the the first season was just in relation to there's that um that one where the the guy is from a like religious sect that you know is fully against cyberization and has his brain put in the tank that he's developing um that's like the second episode i that's a it's one of my favorite episodes of the entire it's one of my favorite episodes of anime ever honestly um i love that episode episode a lot um but you know and in that it's like almost positioned as this kind of um like fringe like backwards idea to be like be against cyberization in this way um and they don't fully position it that but like that's kind of what's implied there um Mm -hmm. here it is coming up like we get this idea of discrimination and what i find interesting here too is because i think sometimes like there's the whole critique that happens a lot with uh stuff that happens around um the x-men of like the x-men as a metaphor for like oppression and um you know oppressed people sometimes kind of breaks down because like you know black people in the u.s don't have like superpowers like queer people don't have superpowers (laughs) um yeah like uh there's something else going on with mutants that like makes that a little bit thornier and stickier and this also happens sometimes with like things about like cybernetic people and the oppression of cybernetic people, because often they're depicted as having like super strength or like these superhuman characteristics. Um, and it, what's interesting here that um, I don't know if you like fully picked up on this moment. I, I'll have to check. I, I don't know if I can find it in the transcript or like pull the transcript up in time. Maybe you can look for it. But there's like a mention of um, how he even like had his hands replaced because they were like a, a lower grade model. And it's specifically and like some of this. confused with the refugee. Yeah. So there's this, this connection of like the cybernetic discrimination actually going into like a lot of these refugees are coming in with these like cybernetics because of the stuff that we've been seeing about like the way that they were given access to cybernetics for, um, you know, like military purposes, basically like the people were being used as cybernetic experiments as part of militaries. Um, and so a lot of people who are these refugees have these cybernetic bodies and then like also cyberization and like upgrading your body to like the proper cyberization is an important thing for like accessing higher society um yeah. and we get this distinction too of like there are these like lower grade like when we see gino his cyber the cyberized parts of his body are like far more obviously cyberized um whereas like major kusanagi or bato or something like there are elements that that are um stick out like especially with bato but like major kusanagi is just like does not look like a robot really right like she has yeah. a cyberized body that is like 
moving towards some like ideal of human form and not like noted in the same way. Um, it gives her all these, these abilities, but is like more noticeably like appears more human. Yeah. Right. Than like, yeah. Then like the, this guy on trial. Um, and so what I find interesting about the way that the cybernetic discrimination is being positioned here is that like, it, it is more complex than just like, Oh, all cyberized people are discriminated against. It's like aware of the way that that stuff is tying into ideas of like class and refugee status and things like that. And that is what more implied where like some of this discrimination comes from that, like having a low grade cyberized body, like says something about your like uh, social standing and class as a person. And that is part of what's being discriminated against and not just like cyberization itself. Um, what kind of cyberized body do you have is part of the discrimination. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, so, so that, that's in the mix as well. And maybe we can circle back. <laughs> um, cause there's, there's a lot going on here. Um, but I think the, the fact of, you know, so the things that are discussed in the trial, you know, Togus's like his revolver, which, you know, as you point out, is this like traditional, um, you know, sim- the symbol of traditionalism. Um, it's also like, you know, yeah, he argues that it's more reliable, but I think we, I think the viewer understands that it's, it is also a personal preference. Um, and I mean, that's and even in season one, I think he, you know, we know this from season one where he kind of admits it. Um, then the fact that he himself is not like cyberized to the extent that Bato and Kusanagi are, um, again, we're not really given, um, he never says why, um, but the assertion from the attorney of like, oh, well, maybe you have this like um, inferiority complex or this this hatred of cyberized bodies. Yeah. Which, um, to quickly say, I, I find it interesting that inferiority complex comes up again after it's brought up in the last episode. But um, yeah. Um, and, and maybe, you know, we can think about like, you know, how, how valid this is. Um, but um there is like the layering that's happening here where the attorney is providing like the most critical um like nefarious reading of like these decisions that Togusa has made these aspects of his character um on one hand we know why the attorney's doing it because it, 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 the attorney's doing it maliciously um and to an extent untruthfully um, but also like, because we have the, we only have a void, um, like we don't have any other, like anything to counter it with. Um, like we don't have Togusa being like, oh, this is my explanation for why. And it's not that. Um, yeah, we just kind of get direct denial. Yes. Um, so it, it takes on a kind of different weight where we have to like, um, as it stands alone as like the only explanation for this, um, I think it does invite the viewer to be like, wait, why, it, why does Togusa like make these choices? 
Um, and does it have something to do with this? Or is there some dent of like this dynamic and him doing this? And then um, on like the other layer to this is Togus's philosophical approach to the trial, um, where like, as you brought up before, um, he refuses to do like an encrypted um, link with Kusanagi. Um, yeah. Which like, you know, they'll feed him information and he'll glide through this trial. It'll be fine. Uh, he refuses to do it. Um, and instead like um, chooses to believe in his own abilities and the power of like the truth, capital T. Um, he yeah. just thinks that if he just goes in there and just like, you know, tells the truth um, in this traditionalist way um, and he doesn't need any type of like augmentation or assistance, um, then that should be enough um, to exonerate him. Um, yeah. And, and he like, needs Kusanagi literally stepping in and like fixing it for him. <laughs> exactly. And like, the, but that choice in of itself is like uh, tied in to this like rejection of cyberization. Um, and, um, you know, the, the various things that go along with it. Um, yeah. So like through these layers in this episode, we do learn a lot more about um, Togusa and his character is brought into like um it is interrogated in um a way that it that it hasn't been before um what's interesting is the way that the episode ends um which you just brought up so kusanagi like forcefully hacks togusa um and then saves him like you know does the speech um through his mouth saves him um and like that's how he gets out of it um so on one hand the episode is just this like complete indictment <laughs> um of togus's like ideas of um i guess I, in my notes i put purity um i guess that's one way of articulating it like togus's um his ideals is like you know um this idea of purity that he, he's operating on, um, it just fails completely. Um, and it, you know, is indicted seemingly as like inadequate, um, in the same way that he, you know, he fails from start to finish in this episode. Um, there's something about like, you know, it, like his philosophy, which is also the subject of the episode, um, that, that is inadequate. Um, given the like present situation, the present threats. Um, so if there is like, so then moving on, like if there is this in inadequacy of old institutions and old forms of thinking, this traditionalism, um, then what like takes the place of that? Um, and this is where, and like now we get to the end of the episode, which is extremely dark. <laughs> Um, because the question of justice yeah. is raised and it's like, okay, well, if justice is not this ideal that Togusa has of like, well, it's just the truth, capital T and I just go in and tell the truth and, you know, the, the, the true like justice of the situation will be revealed. Um, then, then what is justice now? Um, 
And the answer we're given, like Section 9's answer, is that we're just going to, like, take vengeance on these people uh, and, like, extrajudicial, extrajudicially uh, arrange a car accident to maim or kill the, the lawyer and the defendant. Um, so now, like, you know, what, what we're left yeah. with is, like, justice is just the vengeance of, like, the stronger um, or whoever can, you know. Well, and it, it also makes sense with Section 9 because of, like, Section 9 is this thing that is, like, kind of loosely affiliated with the government, but also independent. And, like, so much of, of Ghost in the Shell is them being at odds with their own government um, and them, like, investigating their own government. Like, there's there's a certain amount that this ties into, but in, like, a very bleak and dark way of, like, Section mm-hmm. 9 being the thing that is, like, outside of the system and can um, enact things within the system, but like primarily through like extreme force. <laughs> yeah. Um, that I think just ties into like wh- what section nine is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so yeah, so there's stuff here about section nine. Um, it's a specific to section nine. Um, or does it, it, is this only telling us about like, something about section nine or is this like um well i think we can also tie this into like this larger crisis that's happening yeah with you know traditional systems of order breaking down or um systems of like governance and um social organization breaking down and then having like no alternative um yeah but like anarchy or just like um you know the rule of the strongest or, or whatever um yeah. and this episode kind of like while it does impugn togusa um and interrogate like his conservatism and in the ways that he becomes ineffectual um in the at the same time it's also like darkly uh uh, you know, questioning like what what we're left with, um, or yeah. what you know when you have no alternative. Um. So yeah, yeah. Shall we move on to episode eleven? Yep, let's do it. Episode eleven. This is an individual episode. Uh, the Japanese title "Grass Labyrinth," I believe. Um, and then the English title "Affection." Um, so Bato and Togusa test eight potential new recruits for section nine. The men are placed in pairs to create four different teams, each tasked with tracking major Kusanagi. However, Kusanagi proves to be a difficult target to track and eventually she loses all four teams. Shortly after shaking off the last team, Kusanagi unexpectedly loses all communication and finds herself lost in a seemingly empty part of the city. While trying to locate her team, she happens across a shop that stores people's external memories. And here's the story of two child prosthetic bodies carefully preserved in the shop. The bodies once belonged to a boy and a girl who were involved in a terrible plane crash, leaving the two children the only survivors of the wreck after the other mortally wounded passengers die. While the boy was in the hospital, he learned uh, that he had been paralyzed except for his left hand which she used to make origami train uh, cranes nonstop for the girl who who is 
in worse shape. Um, one day, the girl who had been in a coma since arriving in the hospital unexpectedly went downhill fast and was moved to the OR. The boy believed that she had died, but two years later, a girl his age was brought to the hospital in an effort to convince the boy to switch to a full cyborg prosthetic body, after previous attempts by a relative and doctors to convince him had failed. The boy was reluctant to do so uh, at first because the girl had difficulty with the fine motor skills of her uh, own new body, but he eventually relented and accepted the prosthetic body after realizing the girl visiting him was the very same one from the crash who he had believed had died. Years later, the boy, who had been searching for the girl since he left the hospital, happened across her childhood prosthetic in a lab and took it upon himself to preserve it. When Kusanagi inquires as to the current whereabouts of the boy, she learns that he was shipped out in the last two days of the war and has not been heard from since. Before Kusanagi leaves, she carefully folds a sugar cube wrapper into an origami crane and places it in the car beside the body of the boy, saying, um, I'll bet that even now the girl is searching for the first boy she ever loved. Um, and this, of course, heavily implies that Kusanagi is the girl in the story. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, yeah. It definitely does. Um, especially after seeing the, uh, you know, we, we saw Major's child body in season one, and it looks yeah. very similar to um, the body. We also... Here get this this parallel of um how it looks and then also there's the intro that we see over and over again for season one the the inner universe uh mm. original op where she's crushing the doll in her hand that kind of gets like mirrored in the the trying to fold the origami and ripping it um, yeah so yeah um I think that the, I, I want to do one, this is a, a better synopsis than some of these, uh, but I do want to do one note here, which is there's a moment where, um, so the major stumbles upon this memory shop and then the, the owner is like, I'm about to close, but you should come back another time. Um, and when she decides to come back another time, she doesn't know that Bato is trailing her, but because she goes to this weird memory space, um, he also loses her and then you know, ends up being like, Hey, we should, we should rethink the, the like trials that we're doing for these new recruits. Maybe it is too hard. Um, because he <laughs> lost track yeah, of her. Cause he lost her too. Yeah. Um, um but anyway, it's funny. I, I didn't think about that. Um, that's just yeah. a funny detail. Um, but anyway, so before she goes back the second time and she's thinking about going back, she's getting like brunch basically with one of her girlfriends that we saw her with in the, the first season. Remember where they were like in bed and she's like, here's a cocktail. Um, and then Major Kusanagi's like, oh, I'm going to go work instead. Um, and then Tokusa is also doing the same thing with his wife. Um, <laughs> that it's, it's one of those two girls. Um, it's not the one that we saw who's the nurse who came up with the one with the um, organ transplant stuff. And that like mm -hmm. girl that's like kind of evoking some of Kusanagi's past. It is her other girlfriend. Um, and I, I just want to know, I, I was unable to find the exact, um, wording in the like little bit of prep I was doing, but I, I had seen something before that, like the actual Japanese in that, uh, discussion is even more heavily implying that like, she's like, Hey, let's go, like, let's call up our, our other friend and have a threesome and major Kusanagi turns it down. Um, this is important to me because this, this is a, an episode that, um, 
when I watch just this individual episode, like I, there's a lot that I like about this episode. It's one of the most well animated episodes in the series. Um, I like this story, but I don't like various aspects of how this sits within the actual series. And one of them is this instantiation of straightness into major Kusanagi. Um, there, there's this like implication that, that is being brought up here. That's not like fully articulated here, but there's being brought up here of like the reason why major Kusanagi like sleeps around with women and like, you know, is thought to be like promiscuous or whatever. It's because she just can't get over this one boy that she like first loved. Um, which ties into these like things around queerness and around like queer people as being like, Oh, there's like some, there's some like straight reason for why they are now queer. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. There's like some like straight trauma or whatever. Um, that's happening here. The other thing is a, a a thing that like, I I'm probably going to talk about this episode more as we get to later episodes of this podcast. And I want to like say that here as well. Um, but I want to bring up a, a moment here. Which so I'm gonna read a, a quote from um, Kamiyama Kenji, who's uh, one of the like showrunners, discussing this episode. Um, I'm just gonna like read this for your context, Connor. Um, I basically couldn't understand the major's motives in the first season. The only reason I could think of for her actions was that she was the heroine uh, heroine of the show, but I wasn't happy with that. She could never become the center of the st- uh, standalone complex story. So in the second season, even though I wasn't really supposed to do this, I created an episode that was not written in the original manga, and I recounted her past. And in order to emphasize her past, I put a love affair in there. Through this process, I finally understood that this mysterious superhuman was actually a real human being with a miserable past, and as a human being who has chosen to gain the superhuman power, she probably believes that she has an obligation to use that power for the benefit of others. This was my conclusion. You know, just as a very talented athlete gives us inspiration through his or her efforts, she is stoically trying to use her capability in her own way. Um... This quote is so funny to me because it seems to misunderstand what even the show is doing with Major Kuzanagi. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, at least up until this point. Like, uh, I do not see her as this, like, heroic person stoically using her capability to, to try and benefit others. That's not, like, what Major Kuzanagi... She is, the, uh, like, the boot and gun of the state. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she, like continues to do that to have access to this body that she like values. Um, and also again, when she, she like, you know, identifies with the, yeah. To various, to various degrees, but yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, again, I, I often talk about major Kusanagi as this person that reminds me of like when I've done work where, where I've talked to trans people in the military and the way that like at once, like there's a coercive system that is happening that pushes like, trans people towards the military as a way to access transition and like stable income and things like that. And then also the way that like people do identify and like, um, you know, it's not purely like, Oh, I'm just doing this because it, it gives me access to hormones and it like is a stable job like that. Some people do have that uh, approach, but there are other people who like fully identify with the military and what the military means. Um, and like what the military is as an institution and like consider it a core part of themselves. Um, and if you, you are trying to do trans liberationist work, that's a difficult thing to then untangle. Um, 
And so Major Kusanagi reminds me of that in some ways because she is someone who like fully identifies with her job and is like enacting like violence um, and and like enacting power. And we have all these ways that we talk about Major Kusanagi and the complexities of her, but it is not as like a, a altruistic hero who has been given this like great body and is choosing it to use it to help other people. Um, yeah. It's just not a reading that I see here. Um, and yeah, then I, also I <laughs> tying it here to like the, this straight love story, which I don't know if you have any ideas of, do you think that they're going to reveal who this boy is? Do you have ideas who this boy is? Yeah, do you, I do. Okay. I, I, what, I, yeah, think I, know, I think I, I think I know where I, this is going. Go ahead and say it. I think it's, it's going to be Kuze. Do you want me to confirm or deny this? <laughs> It's like it's ninety percent confirmed in my mind already. Just you don't okay. have to like confirm or deny. I just that's where I think this is going. Yeah. Um. I I guess I just want to like sorry if this is spoiling it for some people. I think it's already being implied here and set up here. Like you're picking up on this. You're fairly certain of this. I'm just going to confirm. This boy is or. I I guess, it's not never fully like, well we. There are people I'm sure you could have a read that this boy is not Kuze. I will say from like the way that things play out. Like there's never a moment where they're like, ah, we have the exact same memory. Remember I was that girl and you were that boy. Um, mm-hmm. I think it continued like it, there are ways that it's already being implied here and it gets confirmed more later on, but then it is still like leaves some room for ambiguity. Anyway, why I, especially given that why I want to talk about it is that what I also find weird about this is that so much of, of second gig, like so far. And I think also continuing on, there's a certain, like, like he is saying, like, he does not see how she can be like the, the hero of the show. And like the main character of the show, he doesn't like fully understand her motivations. That's part of what's so compelling about like the first season is like, the the hero of the show quote unquote is this like person who's doing these horrible things but has yeah. these and interesting complexities around it and a, an opacity um, yeah like you don't understand like yeah and i think well uh, like i think that's it, at play here even if maybe like it is not what the creator is trying to do i think this still yeah. comes up in an interesting way but continue yeah and so, like, this is the thing that I'm going to talk about this episode more as we go later on, because this episode, even though when I watch the, like, this episode for the first time, when I watch it in the moment, I'm like, there are so many parts about this episode that I like. But I think that this situates a, a thing that is happening with the showrunners of this show that is at odds with how I, how I understand Major Kusanagi how I understand like her in the first season, like this episode becomes this turning point of like why I actually kind of turn against the show or why, like why second gig, like doesn't hit as well for me. And it is because the showrunners are like, the show is going to start to become at odds with itself where there's all the ways that we think about and talk about major Kuzanagi. But now we have this new way that this being introduced here. And that feels forced to me of major Kusanagi loves this boy who it may or may not be Kuze, but like, at least she seems to think it's Kuze as it goes on. Um, and you know, the, 
the person like the showrunner talking about this episode is being like, oh, this is how I figured out how she could be the hero of the show and the main character of the show. While at the same time, the structure of the show and what I find so interesting about Second Gig is the positioning her, of her as the foil to the main character of Kuze. If you're like approaching this from no drama perspective, which I think is also really interesting and like can be fruitful as we talk about other stuff as the series progresses. Um, but it is also saying like, oh, because she has this love interest that makes her the main character who's like inspired by her, this boy and like wants to do good. And like, I don't know, I'm just so frustrated with this episode because as it sits right now, I don't think it is necessarily bad, but I think the way that they talk about this episode and what this episode represents for her as a character is going to cause so much more of the like conflict that I become frustrated with later on in this, this season. Um, and like so much more of the, the thematic stuff that like just doesn't work for me. So, um, it's kind of me revealing some of what's to come, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's just important to like to bring up of like, as we talk about this episode, this is one of my least favorite. This is both like an episode I really enjoy watching. And yet also when I think about the arc of the like, especially both seasons, one of my least favorite episodes, there's one that is even worse to me than this. But um, I get frustrated with this episode and the way that it thinks about Major Kusanagi and the way that it thinks about her relationship to her body and to um everything that's going to happen politically moving forward in the series and everything. Um, this like instantiation of the straight love romance um, and not in like in an interesting way, but in this way that um, it is going to like, I think as we go on, like sap some of what's interesting about Kusanagi out of her for me. So, um, but I'm also jumping the gun a little bit here. We'll get to that more next time. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely very, very odd. Um uh-huh. Like, coming to the series for the first time, I mean, I knew when I watched this episode, when we got to that line of dialogue. Um, so that I would I be mad? Had, <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew there were, like, because we've, we've, you know, we've talked about, about Second Gig um, a, few ta- a few times now. Um, I knew that there was stuff that, like, you didn't like. Um, and I kind of saw it coming, like with what is set up in the episode. But then especially when we got to that like line of dialogue, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so all of that to say, like I, I have some bias because I was expecting, like I was seeing it through your eyes a little bit. Yeah. Um, but even so it, it is just really, um, jarring and odd to get that line of dialogue. Like, yeah, I guess I it it's it's out of character. Yeah. Um, well, also, just to what like to quick say something about like how I talk about like there are aspects of this episode that I like. A lot of it is like if this if this memory store and the story that came up about this like boy and this girl and it turned out that it was connected to like one of the main characters or something came up in an anime like Kino's Journey, I would be like, hell yeah, I'm on board for this. Um like, this is great. I love this. I love this, like, version where, you know, some character, like, has this, like, connection to this other person. and We, like, get this weird, like, supernatural, magical store of nostalgia. The way that, like, nostalgia... Like, you haven't gotten to Kino's Journey. You haven't watched it yet. We're going to watch it on the podcast. But it's a thing that is, like, sometimes interested in, like, let us portray in, a, like, 
a real space, quote unquote, like these things of unreality that are talking about memory and like past and nostalgia and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like there's stuff that's happening in this episode that I find interesting and that I would really like in another show. It's just the way that this then intersects with like what goes in the shell is that becomes frustrating to me, I guess. Um, yeah, and like it doesn't work. <laughs> so, and, and and I'll like going along with that. I will say, I think a lot of the stuff about like, I think most of the stuff in this episode is like intriguing and and works well enough for me. Yeah. Um, but like that specific line of dialogue like oh that was the first boy i ever loved is i mean and this is not normally like how i approach uh discussing like media or whatever um but it's undeniable in this instance like it is so out of place and um out of character that like it it really is jarring um like it's not believable that kusadagi yeah. would would say this for for very for several reasons um it's not believable um and i definitely think that is a part of the episode that is like you know i want to say like well let's just you know deal with this part of the episode um and then move on to this stuff that is like interesting. I want to like coordinate off, but the thing is, I have a hard time because I don't really know. I I can't just like package it in a way yeah. that is. Uh, I can't reconcile it to like anything else um, because it is so out of place. Like it, it just can't like. I just can't reconcile it and explain it. Like, well, um, again, we we will get there and we can talk about more when it happens and like the actual specificities of what is happening. But like the series itself is not going to cordon this off. Um, And that's also what becomes frustrating is that it is, I can't just forget this line because um, this backstory is going to become important to the way that Kusanagi interacts with Kuze. And, and so like, That is a, a a thing that is just going to shape the series going forward. Um, yeah. Again, like, sorry for some spoilers here, but like, I think it's important if I'm talking about this episode for me to talk about why this episode sits at this point of like my frustration with this this season with second. Yeah, no, um, it, it's completely <laughs> fair, and I don't, I wouldn't want to just forget about it because it is like it happens, and you know, it's like in the text, so to speak. So like, we have to you know deal with it. Um, but like the stuff about like the significance of this relationship aside from like the straightness aspect um the significance of this relationship and how it like reveals more about kusanagi's like past and her relationship to her body um I I think that is like interesting for the character. Um 
the stuff about like okay well i'll just call it i'll call the boy kuze um this connection that she has to kuze is grounded in like the the unique circumstances of like her cyberization as a child um and so much like the episode talks uh it mentions a few times that you know when she was cyberized like it was the early days of full body cyberization um so there it was like extremely challenging and um you know perhaps traumatic um especially for children to like become cyberized at that time um and the fact that she shares like this um not only the incident of the plane crash causing them to be cyberized um but also this like hardship around becoming cyberized and um you know taking on this this cyberized body as a child um this is such a like important element of kusanagi's character and i think we understand this even you know from from season one um like her cyberization as a child and like the the impact of that um we learn in this episode that there are so few people um, or that it was very uncommon, like for people to uh, under, to like have the same experience. Um, And Kuze is one of those people. Um, So she's tied to him in this way that like her like experience of her body, um, but this is another person who has a similar experience um, and a similar relationship to their body um that she does um so in that regard it's someone who like she who who can understand her um or there's some avenue of mutual understanding there that's not like possible with you know all these other people in the show um and then there's also like on top of that um the stuff with uh like memory for Kusanagi, um, the way that the watch in season one serves as this kind of like grounding mechanism, um, like this thing that ties her, like, you know, child self inhabiting her first prosthetic, uh, cyberized body to like mm-hmm. her adult self and creates this continuity, um, like Kuze is another physical um like artifact of the past that is carried forward um of course he's a person he's not like an object um but he's still like a um physically real like aspect of her past um that continues to be present and like therefore creates this kind of continuity um that we know is like uh important to her um and so in in a way he's you know similar to the watch so both of these things are happening and like that aspect of it for me um is compelling and feels like you know um coherent with the kusanagi of season one um 
But then, of course, then we get, like, this other dimension of the relationship, which is, like, seems very totally incoherent. Um, where it's like, oh, this, you know, this very, like, heterosaccharine, um, like, romance plot, um, layered on top of it, um, (laughs) which, yeah, again, like, I mean, you've already said all, all that there is, or maybe not all, but, um, well, and you, it's also you, this you, thing of you've like encapsulated that well. Yeah, it's also this thing of like I I want to make clear that I'm not like oh they're bringing romance into my my serious show about geopolitics or whatever. Um, like I fucking love Magic Knight Ray Earth, which is a shoujo <laughs> anime that deals extensively with like romance and relationships. Um, and it's also why like. The in this moment, like in this episode, some of the like saccharine romance stuff could almost work for me. Um, but it is just like it, it is the way that this romance aspect is going to be handled, which is not in like an interesting way. I think there are like interesting ways to talk about romance, and also the ways that it will then become at odds with like other things that the series is interested in, in ways that like something like Ray Earth can actually like blend together like romance and what's happening politically um, Mm -hmm. in ways that are like interesting and and worthwhile. Whereas this is going to like be this weird inconsistency and difficulty that we'll, we'll have to grapple with. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to be Rob Zachney being like, you know, Outlander would be better if it was less about how it would be hot to fuck a rugged Scottish dude and more about how, uh, you know, the geopolitics of what's happening at the time or whatever. <laughs> uh, no, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not, like, I don't, yeah. I don't think you're coming off that way. Um, like, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah. It's, it's just weird. Like, <laughs> that's, like, I, I don't really know what, what else to say about it right now, but I guess we're, we're going to just, we're going to continue to see more. So, um, we'll deal with it then, maybe. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else on this episode you want to talk about? Um, I think I'm fine. We are at the three hour mark. We did have a long, we're past the three hour mark. We did have a long pre recording segment, despite what we said at the beginning of this episode. Um, there's my thing telling me it's 1130 and then I'm supposed to take my nighttime pills um, that help me sleep. So let's just move on to episode 12. <laughs> yes. Um, let's uh, let's do that. Um, episode 12. It's an individual episode. Uh, Japanese title. To those without even a name. English title. Silicon. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The, I, the... I think you, I think, I think you misread it. I think it is Silicon. <laughs> Yeah, um, you may be right. Um, I'm, I'm just, I've seen so many all caps titles that now I'm just getting mi- mixed up on how to read them. Yeah. Um, now all caps is is whisper to you. The Dutch continue with the synopsis. <laughs> only through the European satellite system. This is terrible uh, audio. Please read it normally, Connor. After after passing through the gate, uh, Borma recovers a suspicious file. I hope that first sentence was was audible. Um, 
After passing through the stealth gate discovered by Tachikomas, um, Borma recovers a suspicious file believed to be the virus that infected the individual Eleven. Uh, Ishikawa and Borma attempt to figure out how the virus in the file affects its victims. Um, by, uh, I'm just going to skip over this because I, I think this the way it's written is a little confusing. Yeah. Um, they uh, so they're trying to figure this out. Uh, they succeed in learning that the virus is activated by reading all of um, Patrick Sylvester's previous essays in addition to the individual 11. Um, but in making this discovery, Borma is seemingly rendered comatose by the virus. Um, yeah, essentially, just... he he just reads the the one that they believe is the virus and the thing happens. And then he's like, yeah, I never read it. And then the rest are like, well, we did. Um, and they're like, well, wait, so if this virus isn't affecting a lot of people, maybe you have to read all of the essays. Let's just try it. And then we can like develop a, a, a cure for the vaccine virus, basically. Or... Yeah, vaccine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not the, how vaccines the way that, work, but <laughs> the way that yeah, the the way that they test it is by just dumping the the file, the virus file, into Borma's brain, and then nothing yeah. happens, and then they're like, "Oh wait, we need to put all of the essays into your brain," um, yeah. and then like they do that, and Borma like freaks out, um, you know, start his brain starts going haywire. Um, and then Ishikawa just like crushes him right in the back of the head, knocks him out, um, which I guess is probably what you you're supposed to do if your friend's brain is infected by pernicious ideology. Um, and um, then they they just fix him up. Anyway, um, while this is happening, um, Togusa is sent to search for a written copy of the Individual Eleven, um, which we know is the essay. Um, bearing the same name as the terrorist group, but no matter where he looks, no one seems to be able to produce an actual written copy of the essay. Um, when Togusa decides to make one last stop, um, he unexpectedly finds himself uh, confronting the reporter from before, the Fox News reporter, um, who uh, is in the process of killing himself and reveals that um, the individual of an essay actually never existed um in that the existence of the essay itself is a kind of uh, is a fabrication um also meanwhile <laughs> yeah yeah a lot <laughs> of these are like in, yeah intersected plots yeah a lot is happening in this episode um elsewhere kusanagi bato and saito have been dispatched to kagoshima after the man behind the attempt on the prime minister's life uh kuze, AKA kuze uh, unexpectedly turns up on an IR system near the city. Uh, that man, named Hideo Kuze, has gone there to rendezvous with the other leaders of the individual 11. Um, the other 10, you know, of the 11. Yeah. Um, Section 9 intends to arrest Kuze at the Kagoshima War, War Memorial, um, but uh, Kuze and the rest are long gone. Um, they're kind of like helplessly far behind. Um, by the time they're getting to the war memorial, um, well, we'll find out later what they're doing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> we see Kuze and the individual Evan driving to Kyushu, um, and they're kind of swapping stories of their crimes, um, to pass the time. Um, it becomes clear that they, they actually don't know all these, um, terrorist attacks that have been, 
being um, carried out by the individual eleven. Um, none of the individuals are actually aware who did what, um, and they didn't like plan it collectively or anything. They've just all, um, you know, done these acts spontaneously according to their own design. Um, also, uh, interestingly, um, they all seem to think that they brought a copy of the individual 11 essay, a physical copy. Um, but Kuze is like, Hey, do you, does anyone have a physical copy? And they're all like, Oh wait, I thought I did, but I don't. Um, so, you know, um, further, further, confirming that you know there's no uh, actual physical copy of this essay and they're all um you know it's some sort of elaborate illusion um anyway uh by the time section nine is arriving at the kagoshima war memorial uh the individual 11 are on top of a radio tower in kyushu uh committing mass suicide by mutual decapitation um on live television after giving a you know a speech about individual yeah. 11 stuff and here's the thing you said the 11 members of the individual 11 but it is 12 members and so 11 of them die but but kuze fights off his important detail thank one. you yeah um so yeah kuze uh is kind of um seems to be having second thoughts um throughout this process and uh when the mass suicide uh occurs he's like wait and then the other guy is like what are you talking about? And Kuze just chops his head off um, and runs away. Um, yeah. It, uh, interesting episode. Yeah. Um, if you go to the Ghost in the Shell fandom wiki, there's just a list of the 12 members and their names and what they look like. Their and their, Yeah. Um, some of them is like crime seems unknown, but seems to have worked with this other person who talks about their crime, stuff like that. But, um, because mm-hmm. basically it's all from this episode. Um, yeah, I, I was somewhat tempted to end with this episode and have us not do 13, but, um, I think it's interesting to, to get the more, like get more connection to, to know play in 13 early so that's why i put that in also it kind of wraps up or like continues on with some of the stuff um yeah i think a lot of my thoughts on this episode are because yeah like you said it, it this stuff kind of continues into 13 so i think a lot of my thoughts on this episode are in my notes for 13 yeah do you um, want do you want me to just do the synopsis for 13 we can talk about these two together yeah. and wrap it there okay yep uh, so episode 13, individual episode, uh, Japanese title, Face, and then uh, English title, Makeup. Um, so Aramaki calls a briefing to discuss the events surrounding the sudden appearance and mass suicide of the 12 leaders of the individual 11. Uh, Tex, and you know, the one who escapes, Kuze. Uh, Tex briefing the team think that the sole survivor of the group may be using a unique face made by a face sculptor with an artistic background. Um, I wonder what kind of background you would have where you would be really good at sculpting faces. Uh, maybe like some sort of mask for some sort of play. Anyway, uh, <laughs> only two known people 
in the area have the skill to create a face of that caliber, making sections nine a section nine's job somewhat easier. Unfortunately, when Bato and Togusa arrive to speak with one of the sculptors, they find him dead at the hands of someone uh, who is revealed to be imitating Paz. Um, so, uh, you know, the the police are like, we got DNA on the glass. Uh, seems to be someone who the the, pers- the sculptor knew. Also, we got footage of the guy, and then Paz walks in slightly late to the scene, and they're like, what the hell? <laughs> it's you. You're the, the person on the video as, like, you know, they're kind of refusing to let Section 9 investigate. Anyway, uh, Section 9 sets out to clear his name while ordering Paz to keep a low profile until the case is solved. When a detective working the face sculptor's murder turns up dead, uh, Paz asks to see the client list for the dead sculptor and happens across the name and face of an ex-lover. Paz tracks her down and learns from the woman that after he left her for no apparent reason, she became obsessed with him and eventually created an exact copy of his body and face. The two fight and one is killed in the struggle. It's impossible to tell whether the surviving pause is the real one or not, but Kusanagi muses that since they're both nearly identical, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, it's just a very yeah. bizarre end of the episode of yes. like, we all work in like this significant, you know, highly secret organization. Maybe that's not our guy. Eh, that's eh, fine. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like a way of, um, the episode is like it is playing with that ambiguity, yeah. Um, but I think like realistically, we're kind of, like if they needed to figure out, they could type of thing, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the ambiguity is held out, but it is more of like a joke or yeah. some kind of joke, um, as opposed to like, oh, is it you know, is it really like are we are we sure or are we not? Yeah, um, it, it's almost a joke that's playing at like something that comes up earlier in the in the episode, which is um, the the woman who you know Paz dated being like the ghost is not in the the brain case, but it's actually in the wrinkles of your skin, like the the body that you inhabit, your face, which ties into some of the stuff that like came up earlier around like the the ghost takes on the shape of the uh the body right yeah um we uh so yeah there's there's a lot to be said about (laughs) about this um um uh, yeah i'll just like oh go ahead um i i wanted to be like do we want to just like first talk a little bit about the pause stuff and then wrap with like let's talk more broadly about like 12 and how it concludes in the 13 or do we want to do like 12 in the 13 and then we can just wrap with a little bit about pause um, um i was gonna do yeah i was gonna do the opposite i was gonna do pause last and then do 12 okay. going into 13 um so the stuff with so the stuff with the individual 11 is um Continuing to tie in to, like, not only the, um, like, Goda's philosophy and all of his, um, you know, all of the ideas that he articulates in his conversation with uh, the Major, um, but also tying in with this larger theme, going back to season one, 
and our old friend Arthur Kessler um, about the relation between uh, individuals and collectives. Um, the, like, individual 11, like, the terrorism arising from the individual 11 ideology um, is given the name of, like, individualism or, like, the the, the people... The individuals carrying it out are called individualists. Um, then, of course, we have the individual 11. Um, they, like, act in concert, but they maintain their individuality. Um, and the speech that is given um, before their mass suicide, like, is also about this. Um, I don't have the text in front of me, but, like, it, it's generally about this. Um the idea of like individuals um, acting together, but in such a way that um, emphasizes and maintains like their individuality, um, seemingly set in opposition to a um, maybe a collective uh, in which individuality is is more subsumed. Um, there's a kind of like. Um, just again insistence on individuality um, which we see in the conversation on their car ride um, that kind of reveals the inner workings behind um, some of these these actions Um, you know they've all just planned out these actions um, for themselves Um, they're all motivated by what seems to be a common goal or a common ideology um Although that is brought into question as well. Um, so, you know, they're, they're working towards this common goal, supposedly, um, but they're all just, you know, doing their own thing and pursuing their this goal in, in various ways. Um, so there's, like, this question of how individuals relate to a collective, um, and then there's also the question of, like, how collectives relate to one another. Um, and this, um, you put in, uh, in your notes, you put accelerationism and there is kind of an accelerationism, although I guess it's maybe a little more complicated than that as well. Yeah. Um, around like the motivations of the individual 11. Um, but whatever the specific motivations are, it's clearly revolving around like the relationship between uh, the Japanese and the refugees. Um, There's a lot of discussion about like how refugee liberation, it's like, Oh, do they want to subjugate the the refugees? Do they want to expel them or do they want to liberate them? It's not really quite clear. Um, But in this, uh, in these episodes, it kind of it begins to be suggested like they want to liberate the refugees, but liberation means breaking their dependence on the Japanese the Japanese state and the Japanese population um, by cutting off all of their their supports from the government uh, by cutting off their social ties um, and like you know doing these various things um, to force them to like cohere um unto themselves um or and and it's 
th- there's more to be discussed there. Um, yeah. One thing that I, and the- I think it is slightly interesting here just to, to like pull up as well is that this is like what we're hearing them all talk about is at odds with the individual 11 that we see in the first episode, which is asking for, well, isn't, isn't, but like in that one seems to be far more like anti refugee. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, although it is then possibly also going into this, like they want the cutting of the, or the like repeal of the refugee act because of this also like, you know, could fall into the same way that like all these are like, yes, I'm like killing this uh, major refugee who like at this bank, who's like helping refugees out or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's getting very messy. Um, and I, I don't know if like, there's a lot of contradiction here. And I think that's part of the point. Um, is that there is like an incoherence to, um, like this ideology as it's diffused across all of these people because of like the um, insistence on like individuality and and this arrangement, um, like there there's something interesting happening here with the show. Um, showing how like uh presenting how um how many contradictions uh are just like generating within this movement um between these different individuals um yeah but it is all revolving around these like major poles or these major ideas um about you know the japanese pop like uh, no longer being dependent on the refugees and the refugee is no longer being dependent on the Japanese. Um, and, you know, what's the intention or what form is this going to take? Um, is this going to be an autonomous like refugee state inside of Japan? Um, or, you know, as I, I think is suggested by uh, the major, um, or what exactly is happening with this? Um, it's like rife with uh, contradictions, uh, seemingly. Um, yeah. But that might be um, that may be part of the point. Um, so I'm interested to um, to see where this goes, um, and also like I think um, well, I'll probably end up bringing in Kessler more. Uh, again um in our like future discussions because um all of this is tying into like some of the frameworks that he um sets up um and that we know are like important for um for this franchise um yeah so anyway that's that's all i have um, i wish i had something more coherent but um i think given <laughs> um a lot of it is incoherent right now, I think. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I, I want to bring up here. Well, so I'm, I'm going to mention another thing in a, in a moment. Uh, one thing I'm going to say, like in more immediate response to this is. As I was talking about earlier with some of the discussion that we had between Chroma and Goda, you know, 
Kusanagi's um, avatar. Um, I, I had sort of this question. I think this is also tying into it to some degree, which is um, I, I think it'll be interesting to continue to think about and, and break down like how is the series that talking about ideology um, as it like actually functions today and then what else is it talking about when like here ideology is kind of specifically figured as like an actual virus you know yeah um yeah which, which i'm not saying is necessarily like a bad thing but it, it is positioning it as like an actual uh cyber brain virus rather than like the way that ideology just does like actually infect people and, and like <laughs> like gamergate is a thing of like people being turned on to a specific ideology um that has happened like within recent very recent history um and there's only one example i'm just bringing it up is like a very immediate like here's a way that like ideological systems get put into like a group of people or like get like people become indoctrinated into these ways of thinking um yeah or yeah. even on or like a, a smaller like, scale. Yes. But, but that is like um, separate from like this, like literal virus. Yeah. Aspect. I think, I think the, I think there's a lot of room for discussion there mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that we should, um, that we should definitely um, like kick to yeah. uh, for further episodes. Um yeah especially there there's stuff in like what will be our last discussion episode for this where i think we'll we'll really start breaking that stuff down i just want to like place flags as we go yeah um do we want to get into some of the like the no mask stuff um faces things like that next or okay um one quick note that i want to make here um connor do you remember when we recorded the ghost in the shell 2 innocence episode um yes i'm I'm remembering that right now i'm imagining it um how that's gonna go yeah when we do you're remembering exactly what that was like so yeah i i just want to like put some context in terms of when stuff is being released um while second gig is airing uh production ig um along with studio ghibli and then some other um like things in conjunction produce and it ends up being distributed by Toho. Uh, but like the two production companies are production IG who's doing this show. And then studio Ghibli, um, they produce the film ghost in the shell to innocence. It's released on the 6th of March, 24 or 2004 in, um, Japan, which is the exact same day that episode five airs, um, of this show, which, uh, is the, the, Um, do you remember which one that was? It was the, um, May 15th incident, blah, blah, blah. And then we get the, the Buddhist temple and everything. I want to put this timeline. Yeah. I want to put this timeline down because as you're aware, Connor, because we already recorded this, um, Mm -hmm. people have already heard it. I talked to some degree about like the way that no is being used in ghost in the shell to innocence. Um, in fact, uh, a no playwright gets quoted in, uh, Ghost in the Shell to Innocence. I just want to like further place this as like at the same time that that is happening in the movie that Production IG is working on, we also get this episode where I'm first bringing in talking about no play last time, 
Um, and so this is like both Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence and Second Gig are like occurring at the same time. And I think it'll be interesting. Um, perhaps when we get to like the question bucket to think about how these things are in dialogue. Um, but, and also to like, to think about some of the, the no play aspects. So, um, the, the main quote there being one specifically about, um, I, I'll, I will have to like, see if I can pull it up again. Um, that's right. I remember it. I remember it. from Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's this thing about, um, basically the the body being like a a marionette that at death is like the strings are cut um and it was actually the the playwright talking about like um how to act a death to think of your own body uh and the character that you're playing and and thus like the body that is the character as this marionette that you are controlling with strings that like the actual you is controlling like the physical body you that is playing this character as like a separate entity um, and then that gets paralleled in Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence with like this relationship between the body that can be like um, puppeted and, and marionetted and like played with it in new ways because of cyberization. And then like this idea of the ghost. Um, but then it is also like that quote. And yeah, you remember the whole conversation we had. So I do. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, but I think yeah, it, that's also jog my memory a little bit. Yeah, I think that I think that's also interesting to to um, just further pull in of like no uh, the idea of the no mask here is at once like I think it is interesting to think about the way that no drama functions and the way that um, Kuze is being positioned as the main character of the no play and. Uh, you know, having him tied to like she, like the the warrior, is also tying to these like no play forms where um the warrior has already died and is like reenacting um like the, these traumas of the like his history and his traumas of the past in, in Shura like in this like moment of like trial after death um and ending in like a reenactment of the the battle where he dies um. And then how Major Kusanagi then gets positioned as the foil to the the main character if we're, like, doing this no-play reading. Um, it's also then becoming complicated because this, like, no mask in this face is, I think, also going into, and this is the episode that's really pulling at it, these ideas of, like, the ghost and the shell. Um, mm. And, like, the relationship between those two and the way that, like... At once, the the no mask that someone wears is a face that they put on that is not like the actual actor's face. And yet in putting that on, they are turning themselves and their bodies into that character. But the, that is also like a character that they are moving and puppeting that is like separate from who they are. While at the same time being like literally their entire being becomes the character. Um, there's, there's this complexity around the idea of the no mask. Um, and what putting the no mask on me on means and how it means uh, a certain transformation of the person. Um, but also like a controlled transformation that I think is interesting to think about when we think about cyberized bodies um, and specifically yeah, what is and- happening with like Kuze doing this as well as like, how do we think about the major's face also as a mask? Well, and, and to that point, like Kuze Kuze's face is is um, dramatizes like this exact dynamic because it crosses that liminal space of like on one hand it is very 
it has all of these characteristics of a mask. Um, you know, it's it's carved. Um, one of the interesting things in episode thirteen is the way that it like introduces the motif of a death mask. Yeah, um, and as like you know something, it's hanging on the wall um, of the bar that Paz goes to. Um, and then that's brought in with like the face carvers, which, um, you know, they're, they're creating, um, the act of like, you know, carving a face, it lends you to, it lends, uh, encourages you to imagine a static object. Um, and of course, because the technology, um, they're not exactly static objects, um, but they're more in that like object um status um and then kuze's face you know it has the characteristics of an of an object because it doesn't um for these technical reasons it doesn't really move or he can't really move it um but he can um and it is his actual face like on his actual body um and you know in episode 12 we for the first time we see him actually moving his mouth um so, like, his face specifically, um, I think you're right to bring in the major as well because there's an extension to, like, any cyberized um, face. But Kuze's especially, like, it um, straddles this, like, liminal space between, like, mask and face um, that uh, dramatizes this entire dynamic that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and... Th- for me too, like I, I brought this up specifically and um, maybe there's like further, if someone else has like greater uh, knowledge and interest in like breaking down some of the stuff that's going on with this no mask stuff, I welcome it. But like, this is also further why I read if there's like one specific form, like one specific play program that they are comparing this with. Um, it feels like it's like the Ashura no, um, which is the the warrior play, the the like warrior version of it. Um, both because we get Kuze figured as a samurai, and these are about like samurai. Um, but it's also specifically the protagonist is the ghost of a samurai who's appearing in the Buddhist underworld and and pleading to a monk for salvation, and then it like dramatically culminating in this reenactment of his death. Um, and so having it also tied to the death mask here. Like that, the no mask is specifically being tied to a death mask. Um, this, like, I-, I think it'll be interesting as we continue to think about, like, what what do we get if we think about Kuze as someone who is in in some way perhaps already died, um, mm. as well. Uh, so yeah, I think that this is another like aspect of this that I I want to pull out, and especially this time, um, this is stuff I started thinking about the time I was watching it when we watched, uh you know, the first season, season of standalone complex. Um, and I, I was just rewatching this on my own. Um, but now I like more intentionally have in my head and, you know, I was thinking about it, but I didn't even get this death mask connection until I watched it this time. And I was like, Oh my God, death mask. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, yeah, all the, and then also it being the ghost of a samurai, but then ghost is this word that appears to mean like, this thing as separate from the show. Yeah. This like, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is some of the stuff that I'm like most excited and interested in, in this series. So, (laughs) 
<laughs> I yeah. love this episode, even though some of the stuff around uh, Paz himself and like the the plot with Paz is a little just like funny to me. Um, yeah, uh, um, I in my well, head I always forget that the Paz episode and the No Mask episode are the same. <laughs> yeah, um, it's um, we definitely have some some kind of complex plots here um, in the latter the latter episodes of this uh, selection. Um, but yeah, I, just as a quick aside, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying second gig so far. Um, yeah. You know, what, while acknowledging like the stuff that we talked about earlier, um, where there, like, there are some moments that are kind of like, eh, um, but there's so much going on in um, in this season that I find extremely interesting, um, and I'm really enjoying like uh, watching through it, working through it. Um, I I just I'm just really liking it so far. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll see we'll see if my um, dreams are dashed uh, by the time that's all said and there- done. There's a like really bad moment in an episode that we're going to be watch for the next discussion episode. Just be forewarned. We haven't gotten to like the thing that is like just mo like yeah. Great. There's an episode I just really um, don't like that we also haven't gotten to yet, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm pr- um, I'll probably know it when I get to it. Yeah. Um uh you uh, will you will know that I am not a fan of a certain moment when it happens. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm pretty, uh, I think I'm pretty good at, at figuring that out on the spot. Um, now. one thing, um, this is like less a direct critique, but something that I, I find kind of interesting in this episode, um, and a little sticky in, in Thorny, um, is the way that, um, you put, i always forget what her name is. Uh, so her name is Sayori, the like actual woman. I think so. Yeah, Cause there's like, when... Um, when he's scrolling through the list, he gets to like one person, yeah. um, and it's at like, that moment, oh, this is my, personal. Yeah, at that moment, my brain like registered on some level, like Sayori, uh, Saori. Yeah, but I, I, I really don't know if like I haven't gone back to verify. I don't yeah. know if that's correct. Um, one thing that is it, it's just like so there's this image of there's this like weird deviance to her as this person who like wants to become the man that she loved and that wronged her um and like mm-hmm. wanting to like steal his ghost and who he is and everything um and this episode is like touching on especially like images of transness and having a woman inhabiting like pause's body um that is just a thing that like i don't know if this i don't know if i really have a final take on what this like episode is trying to say about that i think it is like almost like stumbling into some of this imagery um but in a way that it was just like it it reminded me of like to some degree the very i think it's the very first episode where we talked about like the um official oh, the who likes to go into the inhabiting the geisha's yeah. body yeah. yeah. Um and it's like kind of veering into that but like also in this like weird like 
the place where I can maybe most see this is that there's a certain amount of this episode doing like an inverted Silence of the Lambs thing. And Silence of the Lambs specifically like being a thing about like autogynephilia as like this like deviancy and like men wanting to destroy a woman or whatever. Um, like Silence of the Lambs is like a, a deeply problematic movie um, in a way that like I enjoy that movie a lot. And yet... Um, even more so than just There's like a being lot. a problematic portrayal of like a, a man who wants to be a woman or whatever. Like it actually has inherent in it, like this very like turfy perspective of like, um, like what like trans women are. And this, I don't know if this is trying to reference science of the lambs at all, but it's like moving into the same territory in a way that just, um, gets like, like it's somewhat interesting in how it's like, developing these other themes around like the ghost and the, the ghost isn't in your brain case. It's in your skin and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. and this, like this danger of the ability to like easily move between bodies and things. Um, but it, it is like, I think stepping into things that it's not fully exploring in ways that become any, in any way satisfactory. And so some of it just kind of ends up being, um, frustrating, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think, they're like, I kind of have a read on this. Um, you're you're getting in, into it there, um, but it's it's engaging with, yeah, like Goda's argument about your ghost is in your brain case; it's in your skin. Um, your ghost or like your identity and your consciousness is something that's embodied. So if you change the body that it inhabits, then like your ghost changes too. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a new articulating this form is kind of a new um, idea uh, for the series um, because we, we see a lot of um, we've seen body swapping to the extent that we're not like um, uncomfortable with it as a viewer, like especially with Kusanagi, you know, we see her moving between the child body and her adult body um and and we know this is a thing we've seen it before um but then there's like uh, on one level the show is like doing the thing that it often does which is um kind of like oh you know here's this technology but also here's this like danger of this technology um and um the the danger of being able to like move between bodies um it reminded me a lot you brought up the the official um from episode like one or two um in season one but it it actually reminds me most of um in the later episodes of season one the assassin who inhabits the the woman doctor's body and tries to kill kusanagi um when she's like body swapping um yeah with like in the in the sense that it's this kind of like suggestion that changing bodies is something that can be done with nefarious purposes or that there's like a danger a uh, possibility of danger in this so i think that's a very basic like that's the surface level one read you can do um the other thing that i think is happening is um 
because we like this is emerging in the midst of this discussion of like embodied consciousness um there is something that's like very ontologically disturbing about the desire to like fully become another person not not just yeah. to like have their body um but to literally like usurp their identity and personhood um which like I think uh, there's a line of dialogue where Sauri says to pause, like, I have your ghost inside me now, so I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Um, there's some way that she's like, you know, wants to absorb him and efface him um, by like becoming him. Um, not just to like have a body like his, but to like literally like usurp him. Um and like doing this is um i think it's suggested that there is a violence um in this action and a violation of like the individuality um the uh sanctity or the individuality of the other person um it like and that there is a criminality um in like in doing this yeah. Um, so that's like my best read on this what yeah. i think is happening um but you know yeah i maybe, and maybe again i like i think it is doing some of the stuff that is interesting that is like getting into these these questions of identity and everything um and what it is the the thing that is like hitting me is just that it is also at the same time bumbling into the the silence of the lambs mess um in the way that it's like specifically positioning i think as well like this this sexual deviancy um that like the silence of the lambs is this like extreme version of the the threat to women are like the men who want to become them and it's portrayed in the form of like a man who literally skins women wears their skin um this like most horrid version and this is also kind of doing an inverted version of that um and it's just the kind of thing that, like, I'm not saying that, like, everything else that's happening in here that I think is interesting isn't valuable or worthwhile or, like, interesting to think about or mull over because it is also blundering into, like, this weird uh, turfy territory. Um, I think it's just important to, like, acknowledge that it, it is doing all of this, but it, it like... The things that it's talking about don't exist in a, in a vacuum. Like there are other ways that people talk about these things that, um, like figure into the oppression of trans people. And so like, (laughs) um, yeah. And, and I don't think that this is like, this episode is like on the level of something like signs of the lambs, which is doing it far more explicitly. And is actually like about this. Like I, again, signs of the lambs is a really well-made movie that I, I enjoy and I like, but it is like, also a movie that I watched that is about how like I am a monster <laughs> and that is like the text of science of the lambs. That is what science of the lambs is trying to talk about. Um, and the book even yeah. more so and in like even worse. Um, and that is not what this is trying to talk about, but it, it is blundering into images that are complicating it. And I don't think um, the people making this episode have the like experience or the, the um, forethought or anything to like, address that or or like tweak it or play with it in ways that um 
then move it more into a, a more interesting space again. And it kind of just has this like part that is a little bit uncomfortable. And I, I have to like either be like, well, yeah, there are all these other interesting things that it's talking about. And like, it's kind of just blundering into this too. Or, you know, again, I don't want to yeah. be like, this whole episode sucks and blah, 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 because uh, <laughs> you can do this anti-trans reading. Like, I, I don't think that's an interesting way to think about. I don't even think that's an interesting way to think about Silence of the Lambs. The thing that on um, Ornate Stairwells, we said that, like, if you're cis, you have to give us money in order to watch it. Um <laughs> <laughs> like um, in order to watch silence of the lambs yeah yeah you have to um, you have to donate to uh export audio probably like five dollar per month then you can watch yeah. Silence of the lambs um and you still have to feel slightly about bad about it as a cis person um but yeah. <laughs> which is us joking around a little bit about it but like yeah this is not at that level but i think it, yeah. i think it's it's worthwhile for me to like bring in the way that it it is talking about identity and identity theft and stuff um that can get uncomfortably close to the way that like uh turfs talk about trans people and what trans people are doing that is not at all like what trans people are doing um so yeah um i, I think but also this is a this is a series that i think has at other times and we've talked about especially in the um for the first season, you know, the first season of our podcast and of standalone complex. Um, there is stuff that it's talking about that relates to trans issues that I think are interesting, um, as well. And so that's also why, like, I'm, I'm more like, this is like, just feels more blundering in the way that I also think sometimes even the first season blunders into interesting trans things and is not really trying to intentionally do it, but it ends up being a part of it. I think this is a moment where it's blundering in a way that's uh, not exciting and fun to me, but it is more like, eh, that hits a little weird. <laughs> yeah. That, sh- that I, shot of her like disrobing and like laying on going over. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was about um, to say. That shot in particular is just like, like without that shot, I feel like it would also not hit quite as weird for me, but um, no, there's just something particularly, um, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, I think like, especially that shot, um, you know, like, a- as I said, I think it, I think what's happening is it's, it's more concerned with like, the dynamic of taking on somebody else's identity entirely. Yeah. Um, than it is with like, Oh, like, you know, wanting to be in a male body, a woman wanting to be in a male body is deviant in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but like on the way to where it's going, um, it, like it, it, does, it does enough uh, things that it can resonate. It, it, like, like it does enough things that, that, you know, you can, it's valid to like perceive. Uh, yeah what you're talking it, about it there. trips over the ottoman and does not fully uh you know come back up smiling like dick van dyke uh <laughs> there's still a little bit of a stumble um, in there <laughs> yeah yeah um, definitely do we have more um, to talk about with these episodes or no i i think um i think we're good um okay. i think we uh you know as always there's there's more to to uh, discuss, but I think we um, I'm satisfied. Is what yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Um, 
So, uh, next time we will discuss episodes 14 through 19 of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, second gig. Um, there'll be six episodes. Um, it's it's going to be interesting because the the next run has, I think, some of the most like, if you'll pardon the pun, standalone episodes. <laughs> there are some that really in a way that like this show has not done so far kind of just feels like you could like easily excise this episode and it, there's still interesting things happening in it, but it's not even something like the pause episode here or the, the like trial episode where it's still tying into some more stuff that's happening with the story. Um, so we're going to get the most just like, here's a, the most ghost in the shell doing a filler episode, I guess. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, which is which is fun. I wish that this series had some more of those. Just like here's just the procedural of the week. Um, we're developing some themes, but it doesn't have to really tie into an overarching plot. Um, and yeah, and then the final episode that we're gonna watch just to to prepare people is basically the start of the final run. Like the the last seven episodes we're going to watch are all basically a continuous story, if I remember correctly. And it kind of honestly starts with episode 19. It's almost like the okay. last eight episodes of the show. Um, it's just like one continuous, like you could just like release it as a movie. <laughs> um, honestly. Uh, but it will give us a little bit of taste of what's to come. I'm fine. Including it in everything. Cause um, okay. it's not quite as contiguous with everything, but it still is a little bit. Um and it's just really setting up what our final discussion episode will be. So that's what's ahead. Um, I do. I do love this show a lot, um, but we're going to move into some of the episodes that I, where I get more frustrated. Uh, we got our first taste here. With episode 11, <sighs> All right. But... <laughs> All right. I'm, I have to, I'm going to prepare myself. Um, yeah. Hopefully I'll still like it when, yeah, sudden, I, I think it's I think it's a little bit less of a um oh eight MS team thing where you were like, <laughs> here's all this exciting stuff that it, it's like doing and I'm just like it it oh it's not gonna, <laughs> it's not gonna do any of this content. I can't yeah, I, I can't I can't just break your dreams. We're yeah. we're in our first discussion episode. <laughs> um yeah. Anyway, uh, if people want to write into the podcast, you can write into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Uh, go to exportaud.io to support the network. That just takes you to patreon.com slash exportaudio. Give us money. Um, if you do a dollar, you get access to a bunch of podcasts early. Not this one. but um, Don't you fucking dare watch Silence of the Lambs without yeah. contributing. Um, yeah, you get access to basically anything that, like, autumn edits as well as some stuff that they sometimes edit like i do stairwells editing a lot but um it still ends up there um speaking of ornate stairwells that's my movie podcast you can go to exportaudio slash ornate stairwells to uh check out the public feed um go back and listen to our ghost in the shell episode that we definitely already recorded and i'm not going to record in a few like months now um a cat who keeps wanting to come in, but then just doesn't even come in. Um, anyway, uh, we did our crossover episode for ghost, the first ghost in the shell movie. Yeah. It was um, fantastic. Yeah. 
it was really fun. Uh, very interesting seeing the contrast between our our discussions. You know, the discussion that I had with you, and then the discussion I had with Autumn. Um, yeah, I just, learned a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what else am I? Oh, the other thing I was going to say is do give $5 for what I hope is still going, Pop Town Funk. Um, it's a really fun podcast where uh, Autumn and their wife, Nora, uh, roll a random Funko Pop and then have to watch or potentially read or play or whatever, uh, something that is from whatever that Funko Pop is. So um, it's it's a fun podcast and support the network you can follow us at ghost divers pod you can follow me at vox mom nia on twitter where can, where can people follow you uh y'all can follow me at rabelais r-a-b-b-l-e-a-i-s r-a-b-b-l-e-a-i-s yeah yeah so you, it. you got it you got it at the top but uh yeah didn't want it i didn't want to make you do it twice so um, um i got out of the top but like stumbled as i was saying it that's okay. Because I, I um, was unused. It comes out fast when you do it right. R-A-B-B-L-E-A-S. Yeah, exactly. It just yeah. kind of, it, it just flows. Yeah. You can follow me at Garfield Aloud, where I read Garfield Aloud into a camera when I feel like it. That's it for the podcast. The four-hour podcast, once people listen to the fun bit we have at the end. Yeah, you really, uh, you don't want to miss that one. So stick around. Um, I, I like the themes, the end theme for second gig has lithium flower vibes, but just is not the same. It just doesn't hit the same. Mm. It's just not as good. Yeah. Um, Well, and that's, um, the opening theme is the, is the same way, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of like, uh, it feels like they tried to recreate what they had in season one. Um, and, uh, they, they don't quite get there, but, um, I feel like rise does still like get stuck in my head sometimes. Whereas like for some reason, the ending theme is just utterly forgettable to me. Whereas like lithium flowers, sometimes I just think like, she's incredible math, just incredible (laughs) math. (laughs) Yeah. I find myself thinking that a lot. That guitar start, yeah um i was so confused the first time i heard that theme i'll be honest with you yeah um but it it grows on you you know yeah um yeah Uh, so so, now we have to now we have to play it as our outro for this episode lithium flower yeah okay i'm gonna play lithium flower right here
Now that you have all have listened to Lithium Flower, here's the actual outro. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you next time. Between the world of sleep and awake Seems so far away from where I've been And unsure but not afraid Trusting my soul I know I must be taken to see Nations come and sweep the shores of my mind Letting it be visions pass and emotions arise Letting them go beyond the doors I've never seen Opening one by one Wake up, I hear a voice
was great. Yeah. I'm uh, just gonna put in cool. both here. It'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since we like made a big deal of people have to listen to the the post ending thing to just have two ending themes for people to to have to listen to. Um, yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, and now, because of the way that I do these, people are listening to this part because I'm still recording, um, and they still haven't gotten to the actual part that they want to listen to. They're still just listening to us just bullshit about nothing. Yeah, yeah. Talking about nothing is really is really fun. Um, yeah, we should have a podcast where we talk about nothing. Yeah. Um, although now it? that we're doing it, I'm I'm starting to realize that this would be a great bit for pondering Puton. Um, yeah. So we should stop and we should save it for Pondering Bhutan. Yeah. I I like tentatively was just like Pondering Bhutan's a funny name. Um, and now I just, I don't know what, like, it can't be anything else. What, yeah, what else could it possibly it's a, be? It's such a good name. Pondering Bhutan with Ajishiro Taro and Hachimitsu Boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. You want to do it's, Time That Is Clap? Yeah, let's do it. Um, let's do 21. Okay. Oh, okay. That was good. Yeah, that was a long session, but it's only going to be like, it won't, it won't even be 3.5 um, because the, the tarot bit was like 40 minutes long. Yeah. Um, well, that will be, never mind, because that's going to be app editing, Yeah. So the episode's still going to be over four hours, but. Good. Yeah. Gotta give I, people the content they need. Yeah. I do feel like um we're just not gonna have the same long post editing bits. I don't think when we start pondering Pouton because we might just do pondering Pouton and then get into ghost divers on days that we have ghost divers. Um I feel like the the pondering Pouton itself will be like our post editing bit. Yeah. Um so yeah um, yeah it'll just be people who are listening to this right now if you enjoy our post ending bit this is basically just what pondering pluton is going to be um i think we're going to talk about the chapter some but, I, but like there's just going to be a fair amount of us goofing off yeah i still don't even know what pondering pluton is going to be because it's it's just going to be pure chaos yeah I think um, my plan for when we go to record it is we get in before we do anything, we do a time dot is clap. We don't yeah. talk or anything. You just like, we, we go in just like, are we recording? We good. Okay. Time that is do the clap. And then I'm just going to immediately launch into um, the, I don't want to reveal the, the full plan that I have for what the intro to that's going to be, but it's not going to be me <laughs> shouting hello and welcome to like I do with ghost divers. Um, I'm going to do something else and then we're just going to bullshit and maybe talk about the, like in some ways I have as a model, um, Gotham city limits where they talk about stuff before they actually talk about the episode. So we might like just start talking at a certain point. I'll be like, we should talk about the, the actual chapter. Um, or maybe we'll just never get there. (laughs) Anyway, Um. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stop recording. Here. Yeah, same.
Now recording. Um, I guess should, I guess I should get Greg in here. Yeah, if that bun is even. Oh, hey, Craig. We're so happy to to have you here with us. Don't lie to Craig. We're just saying how great of a guy you are. How reliable you are. No. Let me actually... I didn't, like, get my stuff good and ready for this. Um, You know, get all my my tabs in order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I tried something different for, since I'm just using, like, the internet synopses for these episodes, I actually put them in before I even started watching, um, and then just did my notes in there, rather than, like, writing it in a, um, my little notebook. Oh, I see. So you just, like, did it all together after the fact. Or you, you put the synopses yeah. in, and then you went in and put your notes in after watching. But like As I was watching. Oh, as you were watching. I had it open, and I was just typing. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's really funny that my... I went to correct a typo, and my uh, Google corrected artifact to, like, A-R-T-E-F-A-C-T instead of A-R-T-I, which I'm sure that is, like... I don't know what the if that's the British spelling or what. Maybe. Um, so I have a question for you. Okay, fire away. What? What? How? How well do you know Tarot? Not well. Okay. <laughs> um. I was wondering if you had like an opinion of what tarot card represents us at this stage in the podcast oh i really wish that i did hold on let's just do it like let me just look them up and then go off my first reaction okay which will be completely meaningless Um, because i don't know the the like symbolic background so for listeners who are listening to this after the the main episode um a thing that I like to do on New Year's Day, I'm doing this because I think it's another funny thing like we did last time that's like dating when we recorded this compared to when this episode's finally coming out. Because uh-huh. um, again, the way that we're recording, we're doing all of second gig before we even do the, the movies, but then they're coming after the movies. Um, but yeah, so uh, a thing I like to do is I like to do a tarot reading for the year ahead, and I figured we could do one for the podcast. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to do a 10 card reading, but I want to do the one where, uh, so the first card is where you are now. And instead of just drawing it and, and having that be one that we feel like represents the podcast in some way. Mm, Got it. Um, as a quick interjection, um, it's really funny that we're like, again, openly discussing the record date because just like 30 minutes ago, I was like, while I'm really bad about just like talking about the date that we're actually recording it. And that's probably really confusing to listen to. And this is like tonight. I'm going to make sure that I don't do that. I'm going to make sure that I pretend that it's somewhere close to like April or whatever. 
Um, and then you're just like completely just overturned it. Like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think it's funny. I'm so yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. So I think if we like stick to like, um, the major arcana that might be me be easier to both to like listeners might know those a little bit better than all of the, the like individual cards. And also you might know them a little bit more. Um, and also it's just, I think it's going to be better material than just being like, Oh yeah. We're the like, you know, eight of cups or whatever. Like, (laughs) yeah. So Um, can I just throw one out there? Sure. As from my like quick scan of, I think the major arcana are like strength, lovers, etc. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, um, it's like fool, magician, high priestess, empress, emperor, yeah, uh, yeah. hierophant, That's lovers, chariot, strength, hermit, wheel of fortune, justice. Sometimes justice and strength are switched. Hangman, death, temperance, the devil, the tower, the star, the moon, the sun, judgment, and the world. Okay. I think, um, God, so I had one and now I'm kind of waffling. Um, I think, I think I'd like to go with the chariot. Okay. I was also leaning towards chariot. Okay. Um, were you looking at like a thing that gives a a general explanation of what these cards represent? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. And what's funny is that. Um, when I, like, I was thinking the chariot, and I was like, I bet that's what she was going to choose. That's why I wanted to say, <laughs> like, chariot, before you said anything. Yeah. Um, why are you picking chariot? I want you to say that first before I... <laughs> well, so here's the, here's the second one. Here's my backup. Um, okay. I want to see if this is also, like, what your second would be. Temperance. That would not be my second. My okay. second would be the magician. I don't know if I even read um, that one. Oh, I didn't even read that one. Fuck. Um, because so the the order of the cards is also kind of like uh, this version of the journey of the fool to the world, mm-hmm. um, like that this thing of progression. And the magician comes like right after the fool where the fool is just like full of potentiality. Um, and then the magician is like, kind of like, I often think of it as like kind of playing at, um, power and, and like, you know, like that potentiality has turned into like symbolic power, but not necessarily like the same level of power that things later on are going to have. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of like trickery to the magician in at least my reading of it. Sure. Um, so, okay, you know. so I'm choosing the chariot because um, I think the image of, like, just a rolling chariot really resonated with me in terms of, yeah, you know, after one year, I feel like we have a pretty good handle. You know, we, we've talked about this before, like, we've kind of figured out our methodology. Um, we have a pretty good handle on like how a ghost divers episode is going to go before we start it. Um, And 
you know, we have our flow down, like it's, we have some good momentum, I think. Um, and I feel fairly in control, uh, of what we're doing. Um, especially now, like, you know, going into like year two or, or however we want to demarcate it. Um, yeah. So that's, that's why I went with the chariot. Okay. Um, so what I, what I'm going to end up doing with this is a 10 card spread. Um, and so I have the chariot down in the middle. This is how it starts. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I'm just going to, I've been shuffling it. I'm just going to cut this deck. Uh, that's always the last thing I do before I draw. Now the first card that I draw, um, isn't in it. So all the rest I'm going to like draw and put and whether it's upright or reverse is meaningful, but this first one you actually like turn on its side and, and put over the first card. Uh, so the first one that I draw, um, and this is sort of the challenge that faces us. Yeah. You put it, so, you put it in defense position. Yeah. And it, it kind of like covers yeah. me. It's so you it's, know, it's basically just like you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I, I just totally get that reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the seven of wands. Um, so for me, there are different ways of like reading tarot stuff, but I, I generally think of, um, wands as being something that's like, kind of like a lot of cards sort of relate to each other. So cups is like very much based around relationships. Um, the, uh, swords for me are most closely related to wands, um, I, I guess I'll like do both of those. Um, and then the other one is, is pentacles um, or coins, which that one is like material matters. Um, so like relationships, material matters. And then for me, wands are kind of, um, they, they are like things related to like intellect or wisdom or something that it's like more in a, pa uh, a passive position. Um it is like knowledge that you have that you can draw on or experiences or it's like like this kind of level of it's like preparing for things would be more of a wands thing mm -hmm. whereas swords is the moment of action and so it can also be intellect but it's like intellect in this like cunning sense of like actually making the the movement right um like to put it in like chess terms like wands is tactics. Yeah, wands is sort of your your like. Here's my like general strategy. Here's me trying to think moves ahead, stuff like that. And then like sword is your ability to quickly react to like what your opponent is doing. You know, within mm -hmm. within the like parlance of chess. So, um, and seven. So one thing I always tell people is like, the meaning of the card should kind of be contained within the image and actually like part of the importance of different decks to me is that different images will like different cards because of the image will have different meanings to me. Um, I think if you're doing tarot, like there's some amount of like learning to some degree, what does this stuff mean? But I think some of it is actual, just like interpretation of what are you seeing um, in a way that like not all people approach tarot that way. And I think it can be a really um, like off putting and, and unuseful way to think about it. But so for seven um, I'm using the, the, uh, a cat deck so it's sort of like the raider 
white deck, but with cats. Um, or the rider weight deck with cats. Um, and so there's like a, a orange tabby that is like hissing, standing in front of a, a wand that has like a flag hanging from it. And then there are six other wands that are like being shaken at the cat. Um, mm. <laughs> so uh, this is this is not like the most positive of, of cards to me, yeah. you know? I think this is um, foreshadowing at some point this year we will become a legitimate enemy of the state um (laughs) (laughs) and we'll have to or we'll have to figure out how to uh we'll have to we'll have our citizens uh citizenship stripped and we'll have to figure out where we're gonna go live after that um i was just thinking of like perhaps like you know growing audience but then like some of that audience disagreeing with us more than our audience so far, mm-hmm. but yours makes sense too. Mm-hmm. I, um, I hope it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I just bought a new computer desk and uh, that thing is going to be a pain in the ass to take apart if I get deported. Yeah. Um, now there are different ways that people do this. Uh, some people will do like the order that people do. Um, I like to do, I do like to the, the left first, which, so this is what we're coming from. This is like the past basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the six of pentacles, but reversed. Um, so again, pentacles being like sort of material matters. Um, the, the image on this card is, so there's, there's three cats, um, and, the pentacles are kind of like in uh what would you call that? Like in a garden where you, you would have stuff hanging up. Um, uh, you know, like garden. sort of, well, like you have sort of like a wooden um, frame and then like hanging plants are from it, but you would like have it in a, a normal garden. Oh, it's okay. Like a pure... It's a structure. Uh, yeah. Like I, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of under that. Uh, there's some like, um, you know, blue flowers that are hanging down where the, like the small clusters almost grape like, um, in like the way that they, they cluster and hang and all the pentacles are sort of attached to that. Um, and then the three cats are, so two of them are kind of looking at a third cat who, um, has this like basket that is tipped over and there's like, uh, feathers and, uh, like a ball of yarn and like various cat toys, basically all pouring out. Um, so I, to me, so reverse can, can mean various things, but I think this, I think this is coming from like the, the material, like this is, um, the, the like work that we've put into this podcast, right. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in like a, a material sense or just like the, the stuff that we do for this. Yeah. It's kind of in the past. It's in this reverse position of like. Um, in some ways it's like, we, we've moved to like where this is just a thing we do regularly is to some degree how I'm reading this. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Um, so it's like, so the images of the cat, you know, losing like these toys that it's accumulated or whatever, but when you reverse it, it becomes the opposite of that meaning. Am I following this? (laughs) 
correct correctly um i don't even know if i would fully read it as like losing but as like almost like a an access of play from one cat and the other two cats being like yo what the hell Uh, okay (laughs) right but it's like reverse so i think i think it's a little bit more like subdued than that you know yeah but but it's still sort of like yeah yeah um because my my original interpretation was going to be you know maybe this card is denoting the immense amount of money that we lost in production costs during our first year making this podcast um, we did lose millions of dollars starting this podcast. Yeah, um, we're we're yeah. we're in some really big trouble with some very scary people. <laughs> podcast notoriously expensive yeah. medium. Um, so then uh, the one that I drew that I I sort of consider as like this is a a potential like near future. Um, so it's to the the right of us. Uh, this is the Eight of Pentacles. And so the image here is a cat um, sort of in a, a like archway door. Um, and there's sort of like a, a um, obelisk next to it. And then like on the door frame, there are um, five of the pentacles. Um, there's a six that's sort of above the frame. And then um, seven and eight are on the floor. So one's like on the ground and the other one, the cat has its paw on it. Um, and then coming from its head, there are, it's like shimmering light. Um, so going to, like up into the left, it goes to the wands, uh, up into the, or there's four actually. So, uh, it's red going to the wands, blue, um, next, if I'm going sort of clockwise, two cups, um, white to the, um, swords and then green to the wands. Um, so I think this is a certain amount of like, you know, in some ways, now that I, I'm seeing both of these together, I'm seeing the six overturn two as being like, you know, this is sort of pentacles, but in this like disarray of play here, things are a little bit more orderly and are like creating this like new potentiality of this, like these beams of light that go to the different suits. Um, and so in some ways, I think that that six is overturned because it is turning into this eight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is like, we are like moving into like more of the, like the, the work is becoming more orderly. There's also going to be like, maybe a little bit more of it, but it's going to be good where we like understand, you know, this is us like coming into understanding how, how to just podcast. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we could say that the two extra pentacles here are pondering Putin. <laughs> yeah. And the, the brilliant beams of light are, are um, you know, the the diffusion of our insight uh, across the various yeah. realms. Um, you know, our 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 podcast has, has it reaches across many realms. So, um, yeah, you know, one realm gets the blue beam, and one realm gets the light. Um, I was also thinking. So you said it was like red, blue, white, green. Yeah. So. I was thinking this is like our future after being deported. So red, blue, and white is obviously the United States. But then, oh wait, no. What's blue, white, and green? What's blue, white, and green? Yeah, what is there a nation with a blue, white, and green flag? Because that's where we're um, going. 
Um, let me let me type this in. I don't have like a um what country's flag is blue, green, and white? Sierra Leone. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, um also the Doug flag, also referred to as the Cascadian flag, is one that is blue on top, then white, and then green in that order, with then uh, a Douglas fir in front of them. I see. Also Uzbekistan. What, what the hell is this used for? It looks like it's so either, there's a number. It's yeah. Sierra Leone or Uzbekistan. Um, um, so or Douglas fir. We just flee into the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just go to Cascadia, <laughs> which is almost like its own, its own, its a uh, own sovereign region. Yeah, um, that would that would be fine. Um, yeah, we'll flee into so, Idaho. Um, that's a good place uh, to hide fifth from card. the <laughs> Fifth card. Um, I I put below. Uh, this is the eight of chalices uh, or cups. Um, and so the the image here is so the the eight cups are kind of stacked in the the foreground of the picture. Um, so there's like five on the bottom row and then three that are kind of on top of those five. Um, and then sort of to the left, like just in the, the corner, there's like a, a um, cauldron or like Dutch oven kind of boiling away. Um, there's like a, a picture or there's like a a, um, a window in the distance where we can see the the moon with a cat face. Um, and the door is open and the, the one cat is walking away from the cups out into the door where there's sort of a, um, imposing landscape ahead. Um, again, for me, uh, I think this is a common read, like cups or, or chalices are about, um, relationships and sort of the, the connections that you have to other people. Um, and this is one where I, you know, there are some versions where like one of the cups might be overturned or something. That's not the case in this. And so I think some of it is almost like I often read when I'm using this deck that the eight of, of cups being like here, here's the like security of the relationships that you have at home that allows you to go out and do like the more difficult things. Um, and so this is in the, the position that are like, um, sort of like what what are the the tools that we can draw on right yeah um like what do we have that we can draw on for strength as we we continue to to go forward and i think this makes sense having this like you know um in the same way that like the the major arcana sort of tells a narrative um also the going one through ten in the suits um also kind of has a bit of a narrative of like coming into that aspect of yourself. Um, we're usually like 10 is some sort of fulfillment of it. Um, and eight is usually in this position of like you, you are, you are getting there, but like there's still work to be done, you know? Yeah. Um, that's um, usually how I read it. Yeah. That, uh, I, I really like that actually. Um, yeah. the, the strength of our relationship, uh, or our relationship, like the, you know, the strength of it giving us the, the strength that we need to go out and like, you know, do to grow the podcast and do more ambitious things. Um, yeah. Including pondering Putan. Um, <laughs> the sixth card, uh, I put above 
the the cross that's you know where we are um and this one is death reversed um now death is a card that when people don't know tarot can can often seem kind of scary but actually just represents like significant changes um tower is more the like um dangerous or like this is this is veering into like bad territory stuff um and so this is it's sort of a graveyard there's a black cat with like a a pendant that is like a white floral pattern um there's also white roses on the the grave there's like a scythe on the ground um and we have this in the reverse pile and this is um sort of one i think of it as sort of like the you know down below is the tools that you can grab up above is more like um, thoughts and, and strategies and things that you have to work a little bit more towards than just like, here are the tools that I have already at my disposal. Um, but I think this is like suggesting some sort of transform. Like maybe we are just going to fully go mukbang podcast. Maybe that's what this means. <laughs> uh-huh. Like we can, we can always pull that out if we need to. Yeah. Like if we get really tired of doing anime, we can just, switch right over to like we're just reviewing food now um, yeah we can, we can always change the, what this podcast is yes yeah or we can do the uh the paranormal asmr podcast that we've been talking about mm-hmm. um oh. there's a hint of the paranormal in the in the death card if you like kind of hinting uh yeah hinting at that you know maybe some murder mysteries um. cold cases <laughs> um i i i enjoy that we got this one as like a thing we can draw on <laughs> um and then to the right there are four cards that kind of go up so like from the bottom up uh so the first one in the reversed position and this is kind of um another look at us and sort of like this this is more like the internal version of the self right mm-hmm. um and so this is justice in the reverse position, uh, which has this card as sort of an Egyptian motif um, with a Siamese cap and like a, a thing of scales. Like I almost get um, like raw and Anubis vibes vibes from this. So, um, so that's kind of that's like perhaps like how we perceive ourselves um, is that we are maybe that we are like you know, doing the, the just and necessary work that needs to be done for analyzing anime. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. Um, the next card up here is uh, the card that kind of represents um, for, for the way I read it is kind of like how others see us. Right. Um, uh-huh. Like the one that's like in the middle is like our true selves. But these ones on the side, the first one is like how we see ourselves. And then the the second one is like kind of how others see us. And also to like some degree, like, you know, the connection that we have to other people. Okay. Um, this is the five of cups, um, which is so in the background, there's like a bridge that has uh, it's like over water. Um, we can kind of see a large structure, like a large building in the background. that There's a path going to. Um, and in the foreground, sort of on the bank of this river, um, there's a black cat with five cups. Um, and to the right, there are two cups that are standing up. Um, and one of them, the cat has its tail sort of curled around it. Um, and on the left, there are three cups that have tipped over. Um, and two of them have spilled red liquid and one has spilled blue liquid. Um, and 
for for me in some ways this is like you know the you have the relationships that you have but then there's also like a, a yearning for other relationships that are um have either passed or that like you haven't achieved yet um and almost this like not fully recognizing the importance of the relationship that you, the relationships that you have, because you're kind of focused on these other ones that are like unrealized. Um, that's often how I read this card. So um, maybe this is, this is people think that we just want to have more guests, which is kind of true. I would like to have more guests. Yeah, maybe we will. I don't, maybe we have guests planned for, for some of yeah. the series we have coming up. Um, I don't um, know if you have other reads on that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe the the tipped over cups or the, um, you know, all of the people who listen to our intro to Ava episode, um, all of the devoted uh, members of the Ava fandom who we just like callously alienated, um, you know, and just all all of those potential connections we just threw away because we didn't grant the possibility that Shinji is just totally straight. Um, yeah. You know, um, I, so that, that's my, that's the joke. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we don't care about that. Um, <laughs> um yeah, maybe, uh, then- maybe we need to like, you know, maybe we need to just get closer to our listeners, you know? Um, yeah. Listeners, how are you doing? Just write into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Just let us know. It can be like yeah, a one Tweet at answer. the podcast. Yeah, tweet at the podcast. Just, yeah. Um, at ghostdiverspod we'll, on, on Twitter. Yeah. We'll, just let know. us know how you're doing. Yeah, it can be a one word answer. You can just say, like, good, you know? Um, maybe you started um, something new recently that you're, you're really excited about. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe you've been having a hard time recently. Um, Either way, just, you know, let us know. Yeah. Um, then in our number nine position, um, this is, I, I kind of think of it as like, um, th- this is maybe like our, our hopes and maybe d- to some extent can also kind of be fears that, that people have. Um, it's like, um, what are what are we concerned about when we think about Ghost Divers the podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that like that concerns us and that that we are like actively trying to work on or like fretting over um, or like hoping for? Um, and so for this one, I we got the the Queen of Wands, um, and so this is like a there's like a long haired cat um, in the middle who's presumably the queen. Uh, there's like a red kitten. Um, or, or a black kitten um sort of more in the foreground they're surrounded by a bunch of um sunflowers uh sort of in a uh like field um the the queen here is on a red pillow that's where i got red mixed up and it has a, a wand in front of her um and so again i think like wands is sort of this like intellect like um in, in this like more preparatory or uh, like knowledge sense. Um, and for me, queen, so sometimes people will like do a very literal reading of like, Oh, a knight is like a, a younger person than you. And then the, the queen and the king are like older and it's like a male figure or a female figure. Um, 
I don't like the like super genderiness of that. And one of the reasons why I like this cat deck is that things get really ungendered. Um, like none of these other cards I've been like, Oh, it's a woman with whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, this one, because it has queen is like slightly more gendered, but I often think of like queen and King are both like two forms of like really coming into like control and, um, also like being able to like pass on, um, whatever that aspect is. Right. So, um, like really coming into not just like this fulfillment of whatever that suit is, but also like now being able to like be a mentor in some sense or like pass things on. Um, and that the queen is often for me, like, uh, more like indirect or, um, it's like less, uh, for me, it, it, it symbolizes less like institutional power or less like um, you know, legitimate quote unquote authority. And it's more can be like slightly more deceptive or like going through different channels um, because of like just associations of like matriarchies being, you know, less common um, it being stranger often for like a queen to be in control than a king to be in control in a lot of Western societies. Um so that's where like some of that association comes from. But I think this is our just concerns that like the content of the podcast is good, that we're like saying smart things, that we're not just like being idiots. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the thing that we both worry we, about sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the final mind. card. Oh, I had the final. So, so my, okay, wait, I want to just, I have a, I have another interpretation of this card. Okay. Um, so this card so in my interpretation of this card, you are the, are the queen cat and I'm the oh, yeah. smaller black cat. And I think yeah. this card <laughs> represents my fears of you just like dominating me so completely that I completely <laughs> like that the podcast just becomes like all you and like and, and I'm completely like reduced to like 5% of it. Which yeah. is, a, yeah, which, you know, I, I'm afraid of that all the time. Um, every, every waking minute <laughs> while we're recording I'm, Ghost Diaries. I'm sorry you, I'm sorry you feel this way. I don't know this is going to come out like this. <laughs> um, the um, final card, this is, this is a potential outcome. And so it's one that you can perhaps try to avoid by by doing things differently or one to strive for and, and to try and bring in. But it's like this is like a more dif- uh, distant, like final outcome that um, to like keep in mind and to Got either it. work towards or work. So the away previous from. card can't be avoided. Um, no, the, the previous <laughs> card is just our hopes and fears, but not necessarily an outcome. OK, got it. Yeah, that makes me feel. A little um, better. Yeah. So this one is the world, which is the, the, this is like a very auspicious card. Um, the image here is, um, so usually it's like two rings forming an infinity symbol. Um, and often like mirrors images from the fool card. Um, and so in the bottom ring, um, there is a cat sitting on a pillow with a, a bowl of milk. And then it is thinking or dreaming of what's in the top ring, which is a cat sitting on a pillow with a bowl of milk. Um, and then in the corners, so starting in like the upper left corner and, and going clockwise, um, there's a bird, a fish, a lizard, and a mouse um, depicted. 
um, the, the world is often this like, um, utter fulfillment of like purpose and, and desire where like all of your needs are met, you know, like you, you have like fully come into your own. Sure. So that's a very auspicious card that we can work towards best anime podcast in the world is yeah. what that card means to me. Yeah. Um, agreed, which might already be true, but, um, we do have some competition. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we think it's true, but I think that the cards are just, you know, affirming that yeah. that what we think is is going to actually be realized. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to take a picture of the spread and then hopefully remember to post it whenever this episode goes up. Yeah, throw it up on the Twitter um, so people can see our tarot reading, yeah. offer their own interpretations. Um, um, if you, dear listener... The- Liked us goofing off for a half hour at the end of this podcast. Look forward to Pondering Bhutan. <laughs> yes. Pondering Bhutan, which uh, we still have no idea what exactly that podcast is going to be. I mean, we know yeah. like, what we're, what we're going to be doing on it. Yeah, um, we're going to read. Um, I have a spreadsheet already prepared of what we're going to read each week. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to read some manga some crow high manga um and then talk about it and also whatever the el- fuck else we want to talk about maybe um, sing some songs you know um, yeah um and bits. our goal is a half hour and um the moment that i see my recording switch over into an hour um i'm just going to like speed through uh, outro stuff. I'm just gonna like cut cut us off wherever we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I also am asking this of you, Connor. If you see me, if you realize we've been recording an hour, um, and I'm going, just immediately cut me off and start going. Where can people find you online? Um, <laughs> and, and I'll just and, say it over and, and over wrap again until until yeah. you stop talking. Um, yeah. So with all this talk about mutability and discovery and potentiality. Um, pondering Puton will be the ultimate nexus for, uh, for our working out of, of, uh, of these ideas. So, yeah. you know, very highfalutin stuff. Um, you know, really and, and the, I- the idea for pondering Puton to me is that I just want a podcast where, um, I, I joke around a little with you. Just, a um, little. And we don't have to like really prepare and have smart things to say. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, wow. That was a, that was a great tarot reading. Um, isn't the, so really quick, isn't the world, that's the one where you can stop time for a few seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that water though? Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Um, um, then you can just like, just absolutely pummel somebody for three seconds. Um, well, what time has stopped? You know what we should have done before I did that whole thing? What's that? That time that is clap. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, very auspicious card there. Um, do you want to do one now or is it too late? Let's do one. We need to do one. Okay. 39. Okay. Yeah. Um, our uh, our challenge card should have been. It should have just been like. Is there one for time? Don't go long. 
Don't go long. Yeah, don't go long. Seriously. And, um, oh, there's, there's not one that's time, I don't think. Uh, not direct. There's some that you could, like, interpret in ways related to time, but more yeah. where stuff places in different spreads determines time, I think, more than, like, a card just... Wheel of Fortune is the one that, like, might be the most time because the the ceaseless, you know, turning, turning of time. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Do we want to get into the actual podcast? Sorry that took so long. I did no, not expect was... it to be a full forty-minute bit. <laughs> that was that was great. I, I loved it. Um, um, speaking of ghost divers, how we can and will just change ghost divers whenever we want. Um, yeah, yeah, forty-minute bit of tarot. Um, yeah, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm ready. Okay. I am back. Awesome. As uh, do you want to do? Do you want to do a very quick drink check? Yes, let's do it. Um, I have already finished my Rocky's Revenge. Um, you've for, had that for one listeners before, at, right? Yeah, for listeners at home, um, we just wrapped up our episode eight discussion. We're about to go into episode nine, and I took a pee. Um. <laughs> Oh, I also had some tea starting this out. I was finishing up my pot of tea um, and I'm about to crack open. Uh, this is from Door County Brewing Company. The name of the beer is Big Sister and it is a hibiscus wit, uh, wit beer. Oh, that sounds um, good. I have a local uh, beer. I think this company's local. Uh, it's called Westside Brewing. Um, I'm, I'm checking really quick. It's also it's is, pitch black in the room where I'm recording right now, so I, I'm just looking at this can. It's completely inscrutable. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it. Um, I looked at it before I bought it because I wanted to make sure. Um, it's it's local. Um, so yeah, Westside Brewing. Um, so is it on the west side of the city or or pro- probably? Yeah, probably. Um, oh, I'm going to Google it now. That's that's what you've you made me do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it is. It's on the. It's okay. it's definitely yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, it, but it's a lager, and it's just called Vienna, um, and it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's no Miller Lite, but um, you know, it's it's pretty good. Um, at some point, I'll have to do a ranking of Cincinnati beers. Um, and, uh, you know, like I did the light pierce. Yeah. Um, maybe someday. Um, so yeah. Um, you want to go back to, um, ghost in the shell? Sure. Okay. Um, I'm back. Cool. Likewise. Um, I'm going to quick eat a dry samosa. Oh, that sounds good. Um, I also brought in uh, Verner's. Oh, Verner's. Excellent. Um, 
I also do have cans of square. I don't know if you noticed. I did tweet on the Ghost Divers account me holding a can of squirt. <laughs> no, um, I didn't, but I need to. Uh, I need to like set up a notification or something whenever you tweet for the with the Ghost Divers account. Yeah. So I can, you know, retweet it or at least like it. Um. That's a great. Um, that's a great preview of our squirt centric content that's coming. Oh, that went out. I think. No, but there will be more. I guess so. <laughs> like the episode where we talk a bunch about squirt did go out. Yeah, I think that was our. Um, what was that? Our the uh, Otori Akio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. But still, I, I expect Squirt to be a, a continual presence on on Ghost Divers. Maybe more on Pondering Pluton. Yeah. I also Just still need like... to send you... Well, there we go. I finished my my uh, dry samosa. Excellent. Um, you ready for me to get back into it? Or what were you going to send me? Uh, no, I'll just... Um, I'm, I'm just going to send it now. Well, it's not, it's going to take a while to arrive. So, oh, okay. But, yeah, but I'll just send it and then you can find out later what it is. Okay. And yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go when you are. 